And now for something completely different. This episode of Zero Brightness is brought to you by you. You can head to patreon.com slash zero brightness to sign up to support the show directly and get bonus content multiple times per week. Thank you to everyone who supports the show, and I look forward to meeting more of you soon. Horror media has long roots as a social pursuit, right? I mean, horror movies propagated through theaters, they were marketed as Friday night activities, and, you know, it was generally just something to do with your friends, right? I mean, this image is also codified so much in media over and over and over, right? Like, a boring straight white couple cuddling up in the dark as an inhuman figure slashes through a bunch of teenagers in the woods. Even when you look at horror novels, uh, a lot of the most like canonical or lauded horror novels were bestsellers, right? They're a social phenomena. Even though you're meant to read them alone, you're supposed to kind of get together with other people, maybe around the water cooler or, you know, at a dinner party and discuss these books. Like, if you go to a bookstore, you go to the horror section, there's like a 95% chance that it's just all Stephen King, right? Or other comparable authors. Maybe Dean Koontz, if they decide to sort him into there. Even going further back, the novel Frankenstein was basically written on a dare at a writer's retreat. And I think that kind of harks back to campfire tales, right? Scary stories that we tell each other. It's a social phenomenon, and it's distinctly different from a book that you would read alone just for your own enjoyment, you know? For me, it's only with the advent of video games that we start to see horror media shift to being a more solitary pursuit, right? Like, even before streaming, let us sit alone in the dark as much as we want and watch horror movies. Video games were sort of forcing us into that box for since the late 80s, early 90s, right? From day one, wherever you place that, horror games have been primarily single player. And it makes total sense. Most of the traditional methods and tools for scaring the player that developers use don't really work if the player isn't fully immersed. Um, It's harder to land a jump scare if the player is chatting with a friend, or it's hard to establish an atmosphere in-game if there's a competing atmosphere in the player's peripheral vision. I think that's why we see these habits that are pretty common amongst people who play a lot of horror games or who primarily play horror games. Things like turning off all the lights before you play and wearing headphones and even sometimes sequestering yourself in a different room. Just doing little things to try and up the immersion and create your own little bubble in which to play the game. That's super normal amongst horror gamers, but I don't think that's super normal outside of the genre. So I think for that reason, it's fair to say that a lot of people's first memorable experience with a horror game, you know, the ones that made them realize that they were really into the genre or that there was something special about horror games, happened alone. I mean, I can definitely say that's true for myself. So a little bit about my history with horror games and survival horror and all that. I think the first time I played a horror game, I must have been like six years old, and I was at a computer store, something like a CompUSA or some smaller local variant, 
And I got to go to one of the testing stations and play the seventh guest. And that was just like a super scary, weird game. It was totally unlike any game I had played before that. You know, mostly having played NES games and stuff like that at home. Now, I would get to play more of that particular game, but it was always like with my sisters or with a friend. I didn't really get to dive in and play alone. And it was the same scenario once the PlayStation arrived and I got to go to my friend's house and play all the cool horror games that were on the PS1. I remember the first time I played the original Resident Evil was at my friend's house and I had just gone over there to hang out and I didn't know that they were having this like giant family function. So we got to go down to the basement and play Resident Evil, but every two minutes, like a little cousin would run in and fuck up the whole ambiance. We were trying to get immersed in the game and figure out what to do in this game and really just get wrapped up in it, but there was just too much happening all around us. I remember playing it and being like, this is fucking cool, but it was that feeling of, I have to come back to this. I have to come back to this. And then I didn't. Uh, because I didn't have a PlayStation probably until near the end of the PlayStation's life cycle. So for a long time, I just had a Nintendo 64 and I had been waiting for horror games to come to the N64 and just wasn't really happening until Capcom released Resident Evil 2 on the N64 kind of a weird port. In some ways it's a lot better than the original and in other ways it's not because the audio is super crazy compressed and it sounds really fucked up. But the gameplay, the visuals, all that stuff is amazing. But So I, I had been eagerly tracking this game, like reading issues of GamePro and trying to figure out when it's coming out, as you did before you had access to all the information in the world like we do now. And I remember it was one Friday night, we went to the Hollywood video or Blockbuster, I can't remember, to go like rent stuff for the weekend and I convinced my mom to let me get a game. So I went over to the game section and I'm just kind of looking for something that looks cool and I see Resident Evil 2 and I freak the fuck out. I'm like, yes, finally, I have to play this game, right? So I, I grab the box, you know, the sort of generic video box, not the one in front that has the cover because I knew if my mom saw the cover, she would be like, wait, what is this? Maybe look at the back and, you know, see a bunch of gross gore and zombies and stuff and say no. So I grabbed the generic case, waited until right when we were checking out. And I was like, OK, here, I, I want to get this. And my mom's like, OK, yeah, whatever. Like, didn't even see a title or anything. So we get the game. And at this point, I'm feeling like I pulled off like the fucking heist of the century. This shit's like Ocean's 13, you know? And we were on the way home and I'm just like planning, like, how am I going to play this game without anybody seeing what I'm doing? Like, you know, what's my plan here? So what I did was I got home, I took the game, I ran downstairs to the basement and I basically like set up as many visual barriers and doors and whatever between myself and everybody else in the house and started playing the game. And I have to say that playing that game alone in a dark basement while also looking over your shoulder because you don't want your like Muslim parents to come in and like see you playing this game and especially in your worst nightmarish fears see the quasi pornographic game over screen and then just like take the game and also like roast your ass 
Man, what an experience. I really think that just like hooked me on horror video games forever because it was so crazy. And, and not to mention that Resident Evil 2 is a great game, you know? The amazing music, the wonderful environments, like all this stuff drew me in, but I do feel like it was that immersion <laughs> of being like inside the horror that really, really clued me into what's so special about horror games and created a lifelong obsession. Now, I've spent the better part of 10 minutes extolling the virtues of playing horror games alone. However, that's not what this episode of Zero Brightness is about. This episode, which features some great friends and collaborators from whom you'll hear very shortly, is about co-op horror games. And it's about the way that the people who make horror games, despite all of this evidence that their creations are best enjoyed alone, keep trying to make multiplayer horror happen and keep coming up with new and different ways to get you to play with your friends. So we're going to try and see, is there some merit in that? Is it just some strange form of madness that I don't understand? And hopefully by the end of this episode, we'll have figured something out of some value to you and to me. So with that, welcome to episode 91 of Zero Brightness a podcast about horror video games. the term co-op horror or two-player horror it seems kind of niche because there just aren't that many games in the subgenre so it might be surprising to actually look at the history of it and realize that the people who've been trying the hardest to get this going are the stewards of the biggest franchise in horror gaming it's capcom and the franchise is resident evil for years now, Resident Evil has been trying to get some sort of online or multiplayer component off the ground with regards to the Resident Evil series, and it's all been to no avail. In fact, this idea goes back basically to the start of the series. See, not long after the first game in the series was released, they actually started working on a concept for a two-player cooperative Resident Evil game that was going to be called, you guessed it, Resident Evil Zero. It was originally supposed to be for the Nintendo 64 disk drive, which was a Japanese-only add-on for the system. 
Now, a lot of the ideas that made it into the final version were present even from this early stage. So, it was supposed to be a two-player co-op Resident Evil game. It was going to be a prequel to the original game, and it was going to be a little more difficult and have a slightly different feel to the gameplay. It eventually got moved to a normal cartridge-based release, and Capcom started publicly showing the game at trade shows and other kinds of events. I think around this time, if you were like me, a little kid reading video game magazines, you definitely saw um, screenshots, little write-ups, things like that, you know, teasing that there was going to be a Resident Evil game called Resident Evil Zero on the Nintendo 64. Super cool and super exciting. Now, eventually they ran into some technical hurdles with developing the game for the Nintendo 64. I mean, this was like a pretty common story at the time. The Nintendo 64 was cartridge-based as opposed to the disc-based PlayStation. So if you wanted to have a lot of pre-rendered backgrounds and high-quality audio, that sort of stuff all got hyper, hyper compressed. You know, it's why the aforementioned Resident Evil 2 port is actually such a technical marvel, you know, um, is that they managed to actually fit the game onto a cartridge. Like I said, there are some compromises, but overall, it's very impressive. Capcom, however, decided they didn't want to fuck with it, and they decided that they were going to shift it to the next Nintendo console, which was a disc-based console, of course, the GameCube. So... When Resident Evil Zero finally came out, it had kind of a weird feel to it. It's technically not a co-op horror game because you can't play it with another person. There's not local co-op, there's not online co-op, but it did introduce the idea of a Resident Evil game with two protagonists and built the entire game around it. The player can switch between the two characters to manage inventory and solve puzzles, and in combat, the other character can assist you. Now, so much of the game is built around this central gimmick of having two characters in the game that you can really tell that it started development as a two-player co-op game and was later changed to a single-player game. And I also think this is obvious once you play Resident Evil 5. We'll get to that later, but a lot of these mechanics were wholesale lifted from this game and put into that game. One example is the way that you manage your inventory. Both of your characters have a very small set inventory, and what you're supposed to do is have them pass items back and forth to each other in order to you know, free up space and be able to keep exploring the game. There's also a really strange mechanic where you can drop things on the ground, but there are item limits. So you can like put too many items in a certain area and you can't drop any more. It's just kind of weird and funny. Another thing is the way the puzzles are set up, you know, obviously they want you to take one character and go to one area and then have another character go to maybe like the opposite side of a door or the other switch in a circuit so that you can work together to solve a puzzle. This is another thing that's like huge in the design of Resident Evil 5. Now, at the time, I think this game caught a lot of shit from fans for being quote unquote not scary. And I think that was sort of a, just a basic judgment. Like, hey, 
You're no longer alone in the dark. There's someone there to help you. This game isn't scary. And that's kind of true. I mean, I noticed the first time I played this game that some really tense situations are diffused by having another player there. Like, for example, in the first area, you know, there are some train cars that you go into that will be packed full of enemies, and you have to, you know, decide who you're going to shoot and who you're going to run past, and it's all real tight, close quarters stuff. It's kind of tense, but once you get the second character there, he just starts shooting, and you just start shooting, and it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess it's fine. But I don't really think that's the main problem with Resident Evil Zero. I think that sort of criticism ignores that Resident Evil Zero is completely, completely batshit insane. I think that's really like the salient point here. (laughs) So Resident Evil Zero, it came out not long after the Resident Evil remake, which was also originally on the GameCube. And it has the same gameplay style, the same visual style, right? It's like fixed cameras with pre-rendered backgrounds, except everything is super high quality. The character models look great. Backgrounds are much, much more high quality than something on the PlayStation. And, you know, generally it has that classic survival horror feel, but updated with more control options, etc., etc., etc. What Resident Evil does with that is a few things. Number one, it gives it this insane fucking setup, right? I mean, just to kind of give you a little bit of the feel of this game, the opening takes place on a train that basically gets a speed-style terrorist attack perpetrated on it by an opera-singing Sephiroth cosplayer who can also explode himself into a cloud of leeches. Yeah. That is, that is a thing in the game. I didn't make that up. Everything I said is in the game. So pretty quickly you're like, wow, this is fucking crazy. And yeah, once again, the first area ends in this speed style climax where you're trying to defuse a bomb while a train is about to crash. We're not in the Arklay Mountains anymore. Except we are. <laughs> this is the other big problem in the game is that this is supposed to be a prequel to the original game, but it doesn't really link up to the first game at all. You know, it stars uh, Rebecca Chambers, who in the first game is kind of this, like, shy rookie-type character. She's like a field medic, um, and, you know, she spends most of the game just hanging out with uh, Chris after he gets poisoned. You know, she's not exactly a guns ablaze action hero. Yet in this game, she has the standard Resident Evil character arc where you go from the shy rookie to Rambo by the end of the game. But then when you boot up Resident Evil, the original one, which had just come out, you know, the remake had just come out a year earlier, you boot it up and she's back to not being Rambo anymore. Also, her, you know, co-pilot in this game is Billy, who's like a badass with a mullet and a gun. He's like a prisoner who's being transported. Uh, And he goes through the whole game with you. And then at the end of the game, this is not spoilers, he literally just walks off. Like, Rebecca's about to go to the Spencer Mansion, and Billy's just like, Bye. And that's the end of the game. It's so weird, because it not only doesn't really link up to the first game, it creates these narrative problems that prevent it from linking up to the first game. And they had a choice. I mean, they made this game. 
after the first one. They could have made it link up and they chose not to. But the biggest problem with this game, which might seem kind of weird considering I'm hyping up how weird and insane this game is, is it's actually just kind of boring. Um, it's not very scary. It doesn't have a lot of like amazing environments to explore. There's some nods, you know, to the first game towards the end when you start to link up story-wise, but it's just kind of a boring game. There's not a whole lot to recommend to it. I mean, it got a Steam port. You can play it if you want. If you love the Resident Evil remake, it's nice that there's another game that's just a little bit more of that, but yeah, overall, I never thought this was a super amazing game. Now, not long after this, Capcom would actually try again with the Resident Evil Outbreak games on the PS2. So Resident Evil Outbreak is a pretty interesting idea. Um, it's basically a game where they have these little vertical slices of Resident Evil games. So there are maps and each map has a scenario. You're supposed to drop in with a few other players and basically try to survive the scenario. So there are items to find, puzzles to solve, enemies to either evade or kill. It's probably the best idea that Capcom has had for an online Resident Evil game, and I really wish they would do this with the remakes. Like, do an online mode where you could just play little slices of the Resident Evil 2 remake or the Resident Evil 3 remake. The problem with Outbreak is that accessibility really limited the game's reach. Uh, in order to play online, you needed to have the PS2 modem, and you had to deal with the PS2 shitty online service, which most people in the target audience for this game simply didn't want to do. We talk about it a little bit later, but the only people who had the modem were people who wanted to play SOCOM, that like military squad shooter on the PS2. To a lot of people who were the target market for this game, they were simply buying it, seeing that you could play it offline single player, doing that, and basically just getting these bland little slices of a Resident Evil game. It's not bad, but it seems like the game would be a lot more fun now, right? Now that the infrastructure exists for people to actually play together online easily and do their own voice chat if they want. Something like this, I think, could actually be cool. But at the time, nobody really played it in the intended way. The game did get a sequel, but it's largely the same. It's literally just more scenarios, you know, for the same game. And ultimately, this just became one of those games you could pick up for $2 at your local electronics boutique or Funko Land, which is how I ended up with copies of these games. You know, like I said, I think this is probably the best idea for an online Resident Evil game that Capcom has ever had, but the infrastructure just simply wasn't there, which ironically, or fittingly I guess, I'm not sure, is actually still a problem for Capcom. It seems like they can just never really get a community around the online things that they want to do. Most recently they tried again with uh, Resident Evil Resistance, which was the add-on to the Resident Evil 3 remake. Um, I played a little bit of that. It was an okay game, but it was just simply not ready to go. And I think launching it as an add-on to Resident Evil 3 and having it, a lot of people's first experience with it be this kind of buggy, unfinished mess, kind of 
made the game dead on arrival. You know, it seems like a community hasn't really risen up around it in the same way they have around something like Dead by Daylight, for example. And that game does seem really influenced by Dead by Daylight. I wish they would have gone more in this direction with that game. Now, I'm not sure how this game did in Japan, but I can say in America, there wasn't a huge amount of interest around the Outbreak games. So, wisely, Capcom would go back to the original single-player model for the massively successful Resident Evil 4. However, in just a few short years, they'd be back on their bullshit with Resident Evil 5. I'm now joined by my friend Justin Maloney, a fellow musician and games enthusiast, and now also the co-host of the newly launched podcast Digital Devil Pod Shin Megami Let's Play. What follows is our discussion about our time playing Resident Evil 5 together. Enjoy. Okay, so we played Resident Evil 5. And you played you played a lot. And I played a little. We played most of it together, I think. I feel like I played like six hours of it, and like we played at least a couple hours together. That is true. I mean, I've played. I mean, I've beaten it. I've played the whole game before. So yeah, I guess that's the the thing here is that I played it at launch. I beat it. So it's it's been a hot minute. It's been a decade at least. Yeah, and so I I definitely am curious to hear about that because this game came out when I wasn't really playing video games, and I would just try stuff because I still had friends who worked at a GameStop, so I could just like. <laughs> Like, hey, check out Resident Evil 5 for me. And I'd go to my sister's house and be like, hey, can I like sit on your couch for a couple hours and play <laughs> your 360? And so I didn't really get into this game or get this game when it came out. But you did. You said you pre-ordered it, right? I pre-ordered it. I also pre-ordered the collector's edition. Okay. Which I, if memory serves, I didn't even crack any of that stuff open. Like it came in a big box and it came with this stupid, like big canvas BSAA bag and like a replica of Sheva's necklace or something. Uh, No, and I like, I think I just ended up selling it for like the price I paid for it, which is like fine. Okay. It didn't have like a novelty controller chainsaw style, like a forklift controller or um, something. No. Damn. Forklift certified. Dude, that controller is forklift certified. You can't fuck with that controller. You need you need a certification to play with that controller. <laughs> yeah, you, you, have to, you have to take twelve hundred hours of training to use the chainsaw controller. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, basically, that shit looks not ergonomic, dude. I would fuck with it. I fuck with that in the slime controller. I've always been interested. I mean, slime controller seems weirdly sort of ergonomic. Mm, yeah, it's just a, yeah, it's round and it just nestles in your so Hershey's kiss upside down. So you just grip, you grip, and you run with your slimes. You know how it is. <laughs> I you grab it, I grab it. Yeah, 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 exactly. You grab it. Well, so you, uh, that's a good segue into uh, Resident <laughs> Evil Five. The subtitle is "You Grab It," um, because this game is fully a co-op shooter game, um, and I have this theory that I've basically aired out previously. <laughs> in this episode up to this point that the Resident Evil series kept trying to do a multiplayer thing and kept trying to get that going and just not really having it. And this is the game where they just said, fuck it, let's make the whole game about online co-op play. 
was there a co-op game besides Outbreak? Was it Outbreak? Outbreak 1 and 2? Yeah. yeah. So my theory is that Zero kind of like floated this idea. Oh yeah, for sure. Outbreak tried it and failed because nobody had the fucking PS2 modem. <laughs> <And then laughs> <laughs> except for the, the SOCOM heads. Yeah, it was SOCOM. That was it. Yeah. Did it come bundled with SOCOM? Yes. Or vice versa. Yeah. Nice. Like, my neighbor was really into SOCOM because they were like big Counter-Strike heads and they are like, you can play Counter-Strike on your PlayStation, like... And yeah, they, they had that shit, but they were the only people I knew who had that. So like Resident Evil 5 is them just saying, after the success of Resident Evil 4, which is a single player game only, like, you know, Resident Evil 5 is them just being like, fuck it, let's just do the damn thing, you know? Do you think that them doing uh, like a full co-op game, especially when you're, especially with like, you have your like staple Resident Evil character and then a lady, do you think that has anything to do with 4 and how everyone hated Ashley? But they, like, wouldn't let go of that for some reason. So they're like, okay, let's just make her playable. She's just a character with a gun. You know, I do think there there's actually something to that. Because, like, Resident Evil is super iterative. And they're always, like, throwing out ideas and then figuring them out later, you know? So, like, I feel like 5 is definitely... Well, it is clearly a riff on 4. So... Yeah, the Ashley Sheva connection, or like trying to make that something more concrete, definitely makes sense to me. Yeah, and I don't, I don't even remember why she's there. Honestly, I don't even remember why Chris is there. Yeah, well, that's the thing is that as far as I played, they don't tell you. So like, okay, the setup for Resident Evil Five is you're playing as Chris, and. Uh, there's some sort of opening cutscene that's very overwrought that's like, you know, in the future. It's, it's anime. It's extremely anime. And something happened, like some events happened uh, that I really could not even pay attention to. Uh, it's, okay, it's set five years after Resident Evil 4. Uh, and yeah, Chris is with a different organization. Um, he's dispatched to Africa. <laughs> The country of Africa. The country, yeah. yeah, this game is set in the country of Africa, not the continent. Uh, we'll circle back to that. But uh, yeah, I guess Sheva is his new partner, and they're basically just on a mission that's like unconnected to the Resident Evil lore. And then they show up, and everyone is a is a RE4 type zombies, not a normal zombie. And then it's like, wait, is this Wesker? And it's like, yeah, it's it's Wesker. Yeah, I think I think the the way they kind of tie it all together is they just take all the staple RE characters you've had before and then they just transfer the virus from 4. Yeah. And it's just like Wesker gets a hold of it and makes it an umbrella thing and tries to like take over the world with it. Even yeah. though I'm pretty sure Umbrella did the the virus in four two. I don't know. It's <laughs> it, no, it never matters. It's literally the most insignificant thing in yeah. the history of video games. So yeah, and so I think the kind of like meta concept of Resident Evil Five is just what if Resident Evil was a pure action based co op shooter that is vaguely in the style of Resident Evil Four, but much more of like a blockbuster movie xbox 360 sort of thing right oh yeah big time big time explosions <laughs> lots of punching lots of like spin kicking Sheva literally just is like in the pit yeah dude picking up quarters 
doing ninja moves. Yeah. Chris is uh, crowd killing. <laughs> yeah. With this boulder punch. <laughs> yeah. Totally. It's it's Michael Bay as fuck meets yeah metalcore as fuck. The like driving segments and the mounted gun segments and there were there's there were some like large enemies in Resident Evil Four. You had the big like crocodile alligator boss. You had the troll giant guy mm-hmm. a couple times. But like they were pretty they were reasonable, I guess. Ish. Yeah. For the most part, you can imagine like someone mutating and becoming like like they weren't any bigger than than like Birkin was. Yeah. And uh and two. Yeah, and then in this game everything's like an actual fucking kaiju. Yeah, which is like yeah. cool, I guess, but see, it's like not cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay and you know i think resident evil 5 it's really important to talk about like the opening couple hours of this game because i think it hits on like a lot of the good things and bad things about this game one thing you can't not talk about when you talk about this game is like the racism and i sort of feel like everyone like mandela affected the racism of resident <laughs> evil 5 out of the game because and this is this is a direct message to you listener if you've ever like contacted me directly on the internet is that i'm disappointed in you for not warning me about this shit in this game cuz i was legit shocked more shocked than playing any other horror game like that i've ever played for the show or in my in my life or whatever like the shit in this game rocked me to my core I mean, I big time remembered um, just, you know, just the I think the initial trailer, literally every enemy character was like was a was a black person, every mm-hmm. single one of them. And then people are naturally like, oh, that's a little weird to be a white guy just murdering a bunch of black people. So they're like, OK, we'll fix it. And then they just added like a white dude with it's the same model, just two different colored shirts. Well, they added like a Moroccan guy and a yeah. and a white guy. Yeah. 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 So okay, when the first trailer came out, even the the famously politically myopic gaming press was like, "Ooh, this, that doesn't look too good," because it's just like it's like literally just like hordes of black people being murdered by like a buff white guy. Like that's just bad and. So, you know, they got some feedback, some criticism for that. And then, like you said, they inserted, like, so there's some Arab people you can murder, which, of course, I, I love, and I thought that was great. Um, I lo- love to see myself represented on screen, uh, representation yeah, screen. Dude, that's Yeah, dude, that's big representation. You yeah, die. Yeah, big, big representation, Inc. Um, but, yeah, and so they, they did that, and it was like, okay, I guess this is fucked up, but they... You know, they made an effort or something. So you start playing the game. First thing I notice is that in the opening area, you're like in a in like a little town or whatever. And like when you walk up, there's like a group of guys all standing around looking crazy. And I was like, oh, this looks like me and my friends hanging outside the meshit when I was like a teenager. Like this is just straight up <laughs> relatable. But then the game starts. And yeah, like all the enemies are black. And the game is like we said earlier, it's set in quote unquote Africa. Um, I think some of the things they did to try and make the game less racist actually kind of made it more racist because like uh, the the place that it's set is like at little bits of the entire continent of Africa like poured into one like soup pot and then they're just like here it is it's Africa so you go from like 
a, you know, like a, an arid town to an actual desert to a swamp to, and like, there's like, you know, oh, there's guys who look North African and there's, you know, stuff that looks West African and like, but they say it's South African and it's like, wow, this is really just like bad, you know? So I remembered all that, but then you messaged me like, I can't believe you kill people that are wearing like grass skirts and throwing spears at you. And I had, for- I had forgotten. I would honestly, like, I think repressed that memory. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's the thing that I read that in my my eye- my eyes became a Resident Evil five enemy and they bulged. <laughs> I looked like a fucking I looked like a cartoon wolf. Where, yeah. Uh, Oh, good, dude. Oh, good. Yeah, okay, so that's the thing that I think everybody has, like, you know, barren stained out of their <laughs> memory, and, like, nobody <laughs> remembers this, but... So, okay, I'm playing the game. You know, it's like, okay, this this is problematic. The depiction of Africa is, like, so dumb that it's unbelievable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then I get to the, the swamp section, which is already pretty bad because you have to drive a boat and, like... No. God. Yeah. yeah you have to, that's the one where you have to. You're basically circling around and you're going to like different sections, right? Yeah. You have to. You have to get to them through the little the little hover swamp boat. Whatever. Yeah. What are they called? I forget what they're called. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Uh. Yeah. That I actually I was just gonna say the exact same words you said. I don't know what the fuck it's called. <laughs> A hover swamp boat. Yeah. And I'm from that area. And I still can't remember <laughs> what the fuck they're called. Yeah. yeah. Y'all know the one with the one with the fan on the back. Yeah. The one what has the fan? Yeah. Crocodile Dundee. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. but like, so you, yeah, you're going around and the first time that you stop, you get off the boat and you go into a little like kind of village looking area and you're like, Oh, I don't, I don't know about all this. Then a dude fucking pops out. Let me describe this guy to you. Okay. I'm going to describe him for you. I'm going to do it. I'm going to tell you. So he's, uh, he's wearing a grass skirt and he's got painted markings all over his body and he's got a spear. <laughs> And he jumps really high, and he makes the same noise that my grandmother, God rest her soul, used to make at weddings. <laughs> and then he uh, he also throws the spear at you. And uh, I was fucking, I was not ready, man. I took that took some time off my life just seeing that because it's like, it's one thing to be like racist, and it's another thing to be like 1890s racist. And I was not prepared for that yeah i don't i like i get it it's a it's a japanese developed video game and in their culture things are just different but at some point i feel like everyone in the entire world has to understand like at least base level like your main your main ethnic groups the easy ones to pick out you you probably understand what could possibly be deemed inappropriate about how you represent them in a piece of fiction yeah well and also this isn't like some small team making like a doujinshi game that has like an offensive thing in it it's like this is a major corporation that has offices in other countries and even in japan at that time they probably had people from different countries working on the game in japan like there had to be at least one american dude who could have been like bro capcom's definitely the size of a company that would like do location like scouting the way that like ubisoft would send people to whatever country their new assassin's creed game would be in and they'd be like okay you have two months to walk around and take photos and make notes about how this is going to look and what everyone does and how they act and yada 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 
Like Capcom would have done that. They would have been like, here's we're going to part of this game's one billion dollar budget is we're going to send a team of people to Africa to like, <laughs> hang out. And they came back. And we're like, oh, here's what we'll do. Here's an oil refinery 20 feet over. Dude in a grass skirt is going to try to throw a spear at you. <laughs> and that's it's, yeah, it's, that's like what they came up with. And it and at that point, you know, it's literally because they just don't care. I mean, I think, too, it kind of extends throughout the whole game that it sort of felt like they just didn't give a shit, like, in a lot of ways with this game, to me. Because, like, okay, another thing that I think is important to highlight in your first two hours with this game is that the game on a nuts and bolts level is not bad. Like, it plays a lot like resident evil four and in the first couple hours when it's not when the balance is more similar to resident evil four it's actually really fun to play um in like a turn off your brain and just like shoot guys kind of way yeah but then as it goes on the whole game balance gets thrown like so far out of whack it's really interesting play like talking like talking about this game in this literal exact second in time because I've played four this year. I think like it was I was literally quarantined in my house, couldn't go to work, and I played four for a few hours. We've played five, and at this point we played uh forty minutes of Resident Evil Six. Yeah. And like it's really fun to like actually be able to talk about this game in the context of all three of them. Yeah, I think maybe five actually has the the least good gameplay. Yeah, I think six felt a little closer to something like older, like an older Resident Evil game, like, you know, like Code Veronica old, maybe, but still older. And four is a better action game, even though five occasionally gives you a little more freedom of movement, like in a in a big sense. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that with five the problem i have with it is that as the game goes on the enemies get harder and take more bullets and move faster but the mechanics have not been evolved from four at all like the only thing they added is quick swapping weapons yeah which is cool but then when the enemies take so many hits and there's so little ammo like it just is not fun you also get less storage space don't yeah you? like you never go beyond the the nine tiles yeah so that's a something that they actually took straight from resident evil zero is like you have a really small fixed inventory split between two people so that item swapping and item sharing is like a central part of the gameplay but once again, it's like things like that, things like the scarcity of ammo and all that stuff, and like the basic shooting mechanics, like you still can't move and reload, you can't cancel a reload, you can't move and shoot. Like when you actually make the gameplay more pumped up and more action focused, those mechanics start to feel really old and creaky, you know? And like, that's why four works because it doesn't do that. Everything in four is set to your character's pace. like. Nobody's really going to outpace you in that game, even at the end when it's super hectic. In 5, it's like everybody can kick your ass, you know? Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. 
All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. There's, I guess there's a couple layers, like in both of these games, you are just going into like a, a contained area. You move from contained area to contained area pretty mm-hmm. much. And like the, those sandboxes and four are like much better crafted. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way the enemies behave is better. Like, like you said, like they, everything's relative to you in a more cohesive way than it is in five. Yeah. Like in five, they do they tr- they they up how the characters can damage you how much damage they can take and then just like how many there are yeah or like what kinds there will be it it feel like as in four when you start to get ganged up on it's usually a case where you can find a way to like funnel them very easily and yeah. that doesn't I, that just doesn't hit quite as often in five like you just have seven different enemies coming at you from different sides and then you have like one or two sniper characters somewhere and I guess that maybe they thought having two characters with a gun would sort of negate that and that it all balanced out but it doesn't because AI characters are n- never good yeah um, and you know when we played together there was no ammo yeah, we never had like, enough ammo ever. Because money is like all the treasure and the money you collect is split. You both get the exact same amount. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't. The ammo is just the ammo. That's it. You yeah. have to choose who gets what ammo. It's not dropping double for anybody. Yeah. Well, and and so it makes you. I guess I can see the the positives and negatives of this, right? Because like it makes you be strategic. So when we played, like you had the rifle. And um, something else I can't remember. And I had I just like, used, I had the handgun and the rifle. Yeah. Oh yeah, so we each had a handgun, then we each had a a gun that used unique ammo. So I had a shotgun, you had a rifle, and like that was kind of cool because it was like oh we had to trade ammo with each other and like watch out for each other and be like oh yeah. like go get that. But yeah, ultimately in the gameplay sense, it's not actually good. And I think the big difference to me between four and five was that. In four, whenever I got to a big arena, because it is kind of designed like a first-person shooter where you're in like corridors, 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 or you're in like a exploration phase, and then you eventually you'll hit a big arena and have to kill a bunch of guys. In four, whenever I hit an arena, it was like exciting because it was like oh, yeah. a fun no, for sure. challenge and you were ready to do it. In five, whenever you hit an arena, it was just like, oh, fuck me. Because there's like a hundred guys. Yeah, there's snipers. There's dynamite flying everywhere. There's like... <laughs> There's so many dudes that you can't see around you, which is, once again, it's a problem with them not... Like, they don't change the FOV. They don't change your movement style or anything. God. But If anyone thinks the FOV in 4 is bad, play 5. Jeez yeah. Louise, dude. That FOV is painful in 5. Well, and that's what's so crazy, like I said, is that in the beginning of the game, these aren't really problems. So, the, for the first couple hours, I was like, oh, maybe this game is actually good. But then right after that it's like once you get to those mines which is where we started playing together i think yeah uh that's when they start doing things where it's like the arenas are huge and there'll be like five guys surrounding you and it's just like dude this fucking honks and we just kept dying over and over and like having to restart sections and uh yeah it, it was like super unfun you know yeah and back to the combat arenas and how you're playing like how we've had to play together and how we had to strategize i don't think that 
I don't think they planned that. I don't think any part of us being like, okay, I have a sniper rifle. I'm going to sit here, trigger this. We're going to do this. I don't think they accounted for that period. I just don't. No. Like, no part of the game feels like they wanted... Like, there are co-op games that exist where the whole gimmick is you're not really helped, and the whole point of the gameplay is that you get with another person and you map it out and you figure out what you're going to do. And I, they don't... I don't feel like that that was something they went for in this. I think they were just chasing industry trends and tried to shift the the mechanics of an extremely successful video game to fit modern gaming trends at the time. Yeah, totally. And it just fails because none of those combat arenas, they never felt clearly set up mm-hmm. as a like, here's the, here's the weapon you need to have. You need to use this. This is what will work best. It, and even if they do, the game's like economy as far as acquiring weapons and upgrading them isn't like robust and deep enough to like mesh with that like all of those systems feel very independent of one another yeah it's not fun and four four allowed you to keep basically anything you needed like mm-hmm. you like there's no reason to have three handguns that'd be stupid you could do that if you wanted but you know, like they didn't they definitely didn't plan on you doing that, but they wanted you to have two to three weapons and some supplies. And once you got the like the huge case, you know, it's like all bets are off. You could have 800 eggs and nothing you want. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, and that's when you enter a combat arena in four, like the the one right after the the first merchant encounter where there's all the like the bridges and the the stuff built into the cliffside where you have yeah. like a bunch of snipers and you have people kind of coming from all sides, but they're, they start slow and far away Yeah, and they slowly come towards you. So you have, you can look at it, pause the game, figure out what you want to do. And you have a case. You, you can go in your case and you're, you're like, here's the guns I have. Here's where I can go to try to like tackle this. And five doesn't do that. Cause you have no inventory space. Mm-hmm. Like all you can do is die. And then be like, okay, well, here's a way we can try to go about this now that we've died. Yeah. And that's that's not fun. That's not exciting. That's it's like you always talk about with like death and survival horror games, how like it starts to cheapen everything after a while. And that's all five does. It stops being fun. Well, yeah, because the the menus don't pause the game at all. And even like the cutscenes sort of don't pause the game because like <laughs> some of the cutscenes, the enemies can still move yeah. closer to you or like it won't reset enemy positions. So like you can have a dude like just about to chainsaw you. And if you accidentally trigger a cutscene, he'll actually get closer to you in that time. He can't kill you during the cutscene, but you'll get out of it and he'll just like one shot you. Uh, yeah, it's like nothing in the game is well tuned or well balanced. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, the the chainsaws didn't one-hit kill you in four, right? If you had a big enough health bar, it would yeah. just take... I think, like, they were in the very beginning, but I think once you take a couple couple yellows and you, you expand that bar, they weren't. You could, like, still, like, walk away from it, but in five, they are one-hit kills, and if one of your teammates dies, like, obviously, if one of your teammates dies, like, it's game it. over. You, you, you checkpoint at that point. Um, well, yeah, I think there were definitely a fair amount of one-hit kills in 4, but I just felt like with 4, everything was so balanced. And like I said, I think the speed is the big thing. Like, 
the fact that everything in four yeah. moves at a speed relative to you as opposed to five where you're still just like a lumbering hulking mass and everything else is much faster than you it just makes the game feel really cheap and especially with anything that can one hit kill you is like infuriating because like it's like okay the dude is taller than me he could move faster than me <laughs> he can kill me in one hit it's like you know it's like if, if you're playing fucking pick up basketball that guy and you got picked to guard him you'd be like no no have the other fucking six foot five guy guard him yeah. like, i'm not fucking guarding that guy Fuck and i know guy. i know these games require like an insane amount of suspension and disbelief just by like nature of what they are but it is really it's truly insane to go to like the end of the game where chris literally punches a boulder uh-huh. literally like no joke punches a boulder yeah but he can't like just rocking some dude in his like sternum doesn't just take him out right then and there. Yeah. Well, like, if yeah. you can punch a boulder, you can <laughs> kill somebody. Yeah. Well, for sure. And so, not to get too into Resident Evil Six, because actually, I want to do Resident Evil Six in a different episode that I think it's oh, gonna like be. after playing it with you for forty minutes, I'm like, actually, I'm like oddly hype on this game that I used to hate. <laughs> yeah. Like I've actually never played Six ever, so that was my first time playing it, and it kind of rocks. I think maybe Leon's part is a little more horror-y. It's a like I think it's supposed to be a little like darker and slower and all that stuff i think maybe because yeah. i do remember there being a part later i think in chris's section where it's it's just another like armored truck shootout driving down the street thing yeah. so i think it's going to be a mixed bag but i think it's six at least has like well or may have some more interesting like classic re moments than than five ever did i'm not even looking for that though is the funny thing like the thing that i I was appreciating immediately about six is kind of what you're saying where it's like we're gonna make an action game then it's a fucking action game like you can karate zombies like you have a button that lets you do a three hit combo on a zombie and then you can stomp it and like you can move really fucking fast and like your gun is really powerful so what you're you're saying it's devil may cry it's full circle and re6 it's just devil may cry yeah kind of i mean re6 mostly reminded me of uh the evil within but like the sort of candy coated yeah like devil may cry meets the evil within where it's like Everything is crazy and super hype and it's just fun and stupid, but it's still from the perspective of a survival horror game. And like, that's what five promises to the player. And I do think it fails to deliver largely, you know, like five has this promise of like, it's going to be fun and it's going to be like an action, like a dumb action movie. And you start playing it. It's like, man, this is just like not good, actually. Yeah, I just I just figured it out and I can't believe I've never had this realization before. It's literally it's just a Paul W.S. Anderson Resident Evil movie. That's what five is. Yeah, specifically, it's like, is it the third or the fourth one where it's like set after an apocalypse and it's kind of in like a desert Mad Max kind of thing? That movie came out after five Mm -hmm. because that movie has. Like, you remember the big axe guy you encounter in the first village that yeah. has, like, the car engine strapped to a rod, and that's, like, his weapon? Yeah. That that dude's in the the movie you're uh, mentioning. So that okay. movie came after. Yeah. But it 
but you know those movies. I there was there was one more movie. So there's a movie between the one that was Resident Evil three, yeah. and then that movie. And so I guess clearly those movies had enough of an impact on like Capcom's overall direction of five, like in the, like in a bid to make it a more like actiony Call of Duty era Xbox three sixty like video game. Yeah. Like, I think that they borrowed some from from those movies because those movies like. While generally terrible, were maybe not extremely popular, but they certainly made an extreme amount of money. Yeah. No, those those movies were very successful. That's a factor that. Yeah. I mean, you know, because if (laughs) the Silent Hill movie did better, I'm sure Konami would have been like, okay, you have to make it has to be like the movie, (laughs) which they probably did that anyway, actually. Yeah. Well, yeah i mean that's 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 an episode that's a whole yeah <laughs> that's literally another episode <laughs> well the thing i was gonna say about five is it's good to bring up the movies because like five's biggest inspiration to me seems to be like shitty action movies like to go back to the the bobo totally bogus offensive presentation of this game uh the very first thing you'll notice is that they have the mexico filter on the whole time which is the filter that like crappy tv shows put on when the characters are supposed to be in mexico and like hey in their defense i think you can change that filter to like so many different filters yeah options not until you beat mexico (laughs) you want brown mexico you want black and white mexico we got it all yeah this is more than just a color filter there's like also just a weird it's a saturation bloom yeah like overexposure thing that all kind of like lumps in on top of everything Mm -hmm. so even when you change the color of the filter it's still like the mexico (laughs) yeah it's the mexico filter which once again it's like this game has a right what you know problem that like to bring it up again resident evil 6 just from the first moment fixes because it's like oh yeah we're in crypts we're in you know universities we're in places that these creators know how to render whereas like when they decided to try and render quote-unquote africa the only thing they could think of was like you know the mexico filter and old-timey racism (laughs) Like, yeah, and everyone lives in a house that doesn't have like doors or windows yeah. or or a refrigerator because it's Africa. Yeah, it's, like everything's dirt roads. Yeah. Everyone's barefoot. Yeah, dude, the fucking furniture, the big table, big chair. Remember that shit, dude. The like the wine bottle that's like literally the size of a fucking like oil barrel. <laughs> like, but, like who? Who eats here? The troll guy from RE4? Like, yeah. Who is this for? Is this, what is this? Yeah. We, a house for giants? Yeah. Um, one of the places that you spawn into is like a house or like an interior of a building. And we noticed right away that all the furniture was fucking huge. And it's like established that Chris is like a big dude. Like, he's bigger than every normal sized human. And yet the interior of this house has got big table, big chair. Well, no, I'm pretty sure that I ran up next to you as Sheva, and she's, like, only a few inches shorter, so I think Chris is maybe a manlet. Oh, you think, yeah, Chris is a little, a little boy? Yeah, he got, like, real buff because he's a manlet, so he's oh. like, I'm tired of being little. He, like, did the specific exercise to change the proportions of his body so he looks tall, but he's, yeah, like, so, really Yeah, so his neck would look like it's a fucking tree trunk, yeah, dude. Okay, so so you're you're he looks, positing. He looks like Broly. He looks like Super Saiyan Broly. That's what he looks like. Yeah. So you're 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 positing that 
all the furniture in the game is actually normal size and chris is a little boy <laughs> that's what you're saying to me right now chris it's little chris yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's empty chris yeah 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 it's fet's vet all over again dude um oh fuck you like that you like that i spend two years telling everyone that i hate when white people rap which i do and then i drop a reference to like the worst white person rap of all time possibly you like that i mean we all we all become the villain eventually man it's fine yeah you either die long enough to become a hero or live villain etc you can see it in my favorite um movie the, the joker experience as I often say to myself in the mirror when I wake up, why so serious? Do you spell it W-H-Y or just Y? Um, depends on my mood. Yeah, I'm writing it in mm-hmm. lipstick on the mirror uh, every oh, morning. Nice. So yeah, It's very Black Swan of you. Yeah, I'm nothing if not um, Natalie Portman. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely like a cell phone. <laughs> yeah, I didn't intend it any other way. Um, okay, so... Resident Evil 5. Now, here's another point, though. So, like, I I went into this wanting to like this game because, like, I I had never played it co-op. I had never really done it the way you're supposed to. And another thing that I... Oh, my God. My cat is fucking screaming right now, dude. Chill. Hey, Clovis. Hi, Clovis. Uh, Okay, so... I... Another thing that I will have, like, floated earlier in this episode um, is that I think a lot of Resident Evil's early attempts at doing an online thing even their current attempts at an online thing never seem to like really get off the ground um and in the early days i think it was sort of uh like a logistics problem because like for the ps2 nobody had the modem yeah for resident evil 5 i mean there was a robust like online service for 360 so that wasn't the problem but a lot of the core audience still was just like not hyped on doing a game this way so you had you know maybe not everybody but you had a fair amount of criticism saying like Resident Evil 5 is a single player game so a lot of people myself included just tried it or played the whole game solo and were like this sucks because your AI partner blows and it makes the game super unfun um with this game it is like a good idea or a good basic idea for how to do a co-op game and like I we were talking about this last night I think where a lot of co-op games actually benefit from being dumb. Do you think that there's anything to that with this game? Does this game benefit at all from being a dumb game that's fun as a co-op experience? I No. No. <laughs> so, like, you can make any crappy game fun if you're playing it with, like... Okay. We have fun playing that game because we have, like built a repertoire yeah like we can have fun doing that if i just got on that game and found a person just a random person especially if there was no verbal communication like we just like load into the game together it would be off it wouldn't be fun yeah we'd literally like be banging heads and taking ammo when we don't need it and you'd have some guy that like you'd have a guy that literally steals all the ammo and then just like clips through a wall or something and you have to fight three <laughs> chainsaw guys by yourself like yeah no like no i don't no like this game wasn't like built as a dumb game to have fun with your friends with like yeah no and yeah it's still like kind of fun like it's just fun to play video games with people um, yeah but i don't think that the game benefits necessarily and i don't think the game like intentionally was built as a hokey 
like Saturday night hangout game at all. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I th- I agree with that, and I, I think that I do think the first, like I said, the first couple hours are a pretty good mindless RE4 style shooter game. Like, if you like the end of Resident Evil 4, the beginning of Resident Evil 5 is kind of like that, but you can play it with a buddy. <laughs> uh, yeah. I actually didn't play it. Well, you were there hanging out with me, but not playing because Steam went down and we couldn't like match up <laughs> yeah. on the service. Yeah. Uh, sure. So I played the first couple hours by myself, but I think that would actually be pretty fun. But after that, I do think the game gets too frustrating. Like, uh, it just gets too frustrating and distracting. So you couldn't actually have like a chill time playing it. Whereas I do think the first couple hours you could actually have a chill time playing it. I mean, it's probably not worth like buying the game for that. But if you already have it in your library, I think I looked it up. You can literally buy Resident Evil Five for like two dollars on like a on like a key seller website. Like yeah. And- like, let's be real, like, just buy buy it from a key seller website if you're going to buy this game. Please don't give Capcom $10 for Resident Evil 5. Sure. Like, absolutely not <laughs> no, in these circumstances. No, no. Uh, they shouldn't be rewarded for what they did sure. in that in that village. <laughs> we, all, we all know what I'm talking See, now, in though, the, it also makes me nervous for 8 because it's called Village. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> well, it's going to be a white people village, dude. It's fine. We can kill white people. Let's get it. There's, dude. You can be racist to certain people in Europe too. They'll find a way. Oh, okay. Well, in Europe, yeah, you're you're not wrong about that. <laughs> They'll find. I was a just way. picturing like a, it's just set in like the Outlast area. Oh yeah, or Outlast Two, where you just get to like murder like weird predators. Nah, dude, it's Van Helsing. I think you know, I can't shake being worried about eight because of the village thing. Now after playing this game, <laughs> and also because the Van Helsing thing, because we we're also talking about this. Uh, is that there's no good werewolf stuff. Like, pl- like please contact yeah. me if you have the hookup. Yeah. Besides Stephen King's Silver Bullet, everything werewolf shit sucks. I haven't... I, I saw it a little bit when I was a kid. I haven't watched it as an adult. Everyone tells me Wolf's Reign is very good. The what? anime series. That sounds like porn, dude. What is that? I, I think it's not, though. I think it's not, because it was from... <laughs> It was from like an era in the late '90s where Bandai was producing a lot of animation. Okay, okay. and Bandai animation usually is actually like very good. Like Escaflone was Bandai. Oh yeah, Escaflone is good. So like they do. It's like I think it's probably fine. Um, That's werewolf. People stuff, people like speak highly in like a pulp film sense for um, Dog Soldiers. What is that? that? Like it's like a horror movie from like maybe the late '90s. Like maybe, I think it's maybe a European horror movie where it's 2002. like 2002. It's literally like basically the soldier types from like 28 days later, but like they're in the woods and they're getting like hunted by werewolves. Okay. Or like they turn or like or some of them start turning because they got bit or maybe it's like one gets bit and they all start turning. Well, type type stuff. But like, I think there's a couple, but you're not wrong. Like. Typically, werewolves haven't been represented very well in media. So, fun fact, that's a movie from 2002, directed by Neil mm. Marshall, who in 2005 mm. would direct The Descent, oh, which is a okay. fucking great film. I guess I should watch Dog Soldiers then. I've, I've put it off for a long time. That is a terrible name for a movie. I, that's probably like an American rename or something. I don't, I don't know, man. It looks like it's just fucking full ass called Dog Soldiers, bro. Like <laughs> this movie is called Dog okay. Soldiers. 
<laughs> alpha dog it's alpha dog <laughs> alpha dog um well we were talking about how with the real well i'm gonna watch this movie now because i'm interested <laughs> i'm interested but like with most werewolf stuff it's either werewolves mixed in with other things but if you discount that kind of stuff like your underworlds your twilights just yeah. pure vampire or f- just pure werewolf stuff there is barely any of it and most of it is like not good yeah sure so well, you know maybe this is ushering in a new era of good quality werewolf content oh okay quality werewolf content. i'm interested in the I, oh i'm interested because you know how, how do they have them like what makes the werewolves exist in that world what makes the witches exist in that world is it more t-virus shit or are they just going to go full tilt like it's magic yeah that's a good question like are, are they gonna the way that like re7 feels a lot like like a pt or something like are they just gonna like kind of like shift in that direction with the franchise now and have future games be very like supernatural yeah like you're just like you have chris showing up to do a thing and he's like oh what's wesker up to what's happening and then he finds out it's literally just it's just evil shit it's not even like a virus he just literally is fighting ghosts that could be fun or at least a different you know a change of pace for that that whole franchise that's getting a little a little bogged down yeah or a a lot bogged down i guess yeah spoilers for seven but you know seven just turns into more we're on the research tanker there's the t-virus I have the T virus in me. We are the T virus. <laughs> like that's just I don't care really. Like yeah. once I got to that, I started to tire. I mean, you all said it that the last leg of that game really just treads a whole lot of water. Yeah, total dog soldier right there, dude. That shit sucks. Oh my god. Yeah, you know i I don't hate the idea of Resident Evil going like trashy magical realism by just being like the t-virus can do anything so witches and werewolves are are real i don't hate that actually because like the t-virus is already basically a MacGuffin, where it's just like do we want a guy to turn into this or turn into that or what the fuck ever like oh t-virus g c virus did it like they don't give a shit dude they go wild it just turns everything into like scary version of whatever the thing is so if you need a thing you just write in oh Umbrella tested the T-virus on shark and then shark became big, scary shark. Yeah. Like that's all like it's it just writes itself like you don't really need much more of a justification. Um, Yeah, for sure. They should do something like the Jinji Ito comic Gyo, but like with (laughs) T-virus, that would be fucking sick. Like, yeah. So like you've talked a lot about how Resident Evil has always been schlocky and that's kind of the point. Yeah. Despite what people might want to believe and what they'll tell you. Uh huh. But do you think that there's like, there's still a window of opportunity for them to make Resident Evil into, I don't want to say a real horror game, but like a horror game in which it's not meant to be campy. It's not meant to be like a blockbuster horror sort of thing. Like it's legitimately, like, do you think that there's room for them to turn RE8 or 9, since it's probably done at this point, into like Visage? Could they make Resident Evil into like a real game like that and keep there? It's the T-Virus. It turned the thing into a mummy or whatever they're going to do next. Yeah, no. So the answer is no. I'm glad you asked because I I do personally feel that Resident Evil is trashy. 
It's trashy blockbuster horror. It has been from literally the first second of the first game. Like, the first thing you see in the original Resident Evil is like yep. a shitty TBS style intro <laughs> with live action actors that's like terrible. And then the, ah! the game starts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like the the series has stuck with that pretty steadfastly. I think that there have been times when it dipped back into something that was less in your face and more suggestive or atmospheric. But even in the games like that, that people cite, there's there's piles and piles of cheesy shit bad dialogue stuff cribbed directly from movies like die hard and bad boys like it you can't separate those two sides of it i think and and this has been a fun journey playing these kind of quote-unquote bad resident evil games because i think what i'm coming to realize is that people's feelings about that aspect of it like oh could resident evil be really scary and evocative and, and classy you know i think people get those feelings wrapped up in is the game actually good and i think that with resident evil they shouldn't actually try and make something that's like classy or evocative or whatever like visage they should just be trying to make a game that's fun and that's why i think like when i replayed resident evil 4 i was like my mind was blown i was like man this game fucking rocks like it always did because it's fun to play And I think that they also put so much of the gothic aesthetic and all these other things that you associate with the horror side of it, and they did it really well. So the whole package was just fantastic. But I really do think people get confused. Like Resident Evil 5 isn't bad because it's not scary or because most of the horror elements are removed. Basically all the horror elements are removed. But that's not why the game is bad. The game is bad because it's not fun to play most of the time, you know? <laughs> and it's also not distinct. Like, the the setting in how much they bungled it is, like, it's not distinct, you know? It doesn't really, like, give you some strong image or, or thing to latch onto unless it's putting some really shocking racist imagery on screen, which is doing that in the bad way that you don't want something to do. Like, there just isn't much to it. And so I think it's really interesting because then, yeah, like going going into six, which once again, we, we've barely played it, but right away I was like, yeah, oh, this is, A, this is more what I think a Resident Evil game should look like. And so far it's fun to play, you know? Like, yeah, I'm definitely like keen on playing at least a little more Resident Evil 6. To keep this TED Talk rolling for another minute longer, I mean, <laughs> I think this is really relevant to 7 as well, because, like, 7 starts to go downhill the minute that they start to introduce more game mechanics, because, like, the combat in that game isn't good, and a lot of elements of the the game are not fun to play, but the real linear cat and mouse stuff with Jack is actually fun and cool, you know? I mean, I like the I like the survival horror or traditional survival horror like like I don't I didn't like there's the one room spoiler I guess the the basement room where there's just eight of the oh. slime dudes no. like that sucked like I don't like I do like the you're in a hallway one hits a corner like I think the demo did that yeah, yeah. where like you go in the hallway and one pops out and you've got seven bullets and you need to make those count yeah like I do like that and I think that that is fun but the game barely did any of that well and also like why does the game only have one enemy type 
Like, if you're gonna have, yeah. I mean, one and a half, really. Like, if you're gonna yeah, have, they have they have upright slime dude and crawly slime dude. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's a uh, there's mucus spider and mucus man, and that's and then it. flies. <laughs> yeah, it's like if you're gonna put that much combat in the game, make it a game. Like, put more enemies, put more challenges, stuff like that. But if you're gonna be that low effort with it. Like, just make it a, a small obstacle that the player has to surmount. Don't make it a core part of the game. Yeah, not to play devil's advocate, but when you look at the history of Resident Evil from the start to now, you can clearly tell that within certain chunks of that franchise, they've tried to they've tried to make it relevant within the generation, not console generation, but just era that it exists in. Yeah. And, you know, the tank controls and the the inventory and like all that stuff is very, it's very much tied to a technological limitation. Yeah. And then you get to like four five, six, which those games had to, had to survive alongside a dramatically shifting industry mm-hmm. and the rise of call of duty. I've already said it like, yeah, like that sort of gaming and that sort of culture they had to like, they didn't have to, but you know, Capcom's a major company. They want to sell copies and they, they wanted to find, a way to make those games appeal as much as they could and even remove from appealing to as many people as possible. It like trends were just different games in general controlled differently. And you had a lot like a, a larger toolbox and then you go to seven and seven clearly borrows from what survival horror turned into in like the 20 and the teens mm-hmm. with all your amnesia likes and, and all that stuff. Yeah. And Outlast, like all those games, clearly they looked at those games and realized that's where quote unquote horror was and what was popular. So they had to they had to map what people expect from Resident Evil onto onto that, which is what they've always done. Yeah. And it would be interesting to see if they keep trying to do the thing they've literally done for 25 years where they try to map what they think that identity is onto what's popular yeah or what people expect from a horror game or if they're just gonna just toss it and say people will buy resident evil regardless we're gonna make we're gonna make a game we're gonna make whatever we want well that's what i think is so interesting specifically about the multiplayer resident evil games is because they do seem to be the games that are most conflicted about their own identity or what the series identity is you know like they seem to be the ones where there isn't a clear answer to even what resident evil is like you said they're trying to map what's popular at the time or what's going at time onto resident evil but then these multiplayer games really like question the core of what resident evil is and i think that's why sometimes people have such negative reactions to them because like you know another thing i'll have already spoken about in this episode is like survival horror games keep putting you alone in the dark that's like the core of them the core of them is trying to scare you like that's what people view as the heart of it so when you put a second person there it's instantly less scary and it gets to that core question of what is this game why is this game what are we even doing with it and i think that's that's really interesting i think that the multiplayer resident evils are some of the most like uh, boundary pushing, at least in terms of like what the player's expectation is. Uh, and it's not always good, but I do think it's always interesting at least. Yeah, interesting. 
Now, I did sort of tackle this subject a little bit out of order, because Resident Evil was not the only game in town in terms of co-op horror on the PS2. In fact, the PS2 played host to another series of games that were more definitively designed around the concept of co-op horror. And those were, of course, the obscure games. I'm not calling these games obscure. Literally, the name of this game is obscure. And there's also an obscure too on the PS2. Joining me now is returning guest Monica Coleslaw, who played a little bit of obscure with me and is now going to talk to me about why it's such a masterclass in the problems that arise when you just jam another player into a classic style survival horror game. Here we go. Alright, so we played a little bit of Obscure. So, Obscure is a 2004 or 2005 in North America, I guess, uh, released game. It was on the PlayStation 2. It was developed by Hydrovision Entertainment, who are French. Mm, Sounds like a weed thing. (laughs) Hydroponic Entertainment? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's, it's notable because the gimmick of Obscure is that it's kind of just like a total basic-ass survival horror game, except the theme is like, it's like a crappy late 90s, early 2000s teen movie. Yeah, it was like a faculty. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And it's funny because... Uh, the game even had music by like period appropriate pop punk (laughs) Uh, obscure well and so this I kind of lured you into this under false pretenses and I apologize me? yeah yeah you did well because the original game had some 41 in it I thought some 41 would be like more of a factor Well, I thought they'd like make a cameo or something. Well, okay, that's what's so funny about this is that if you look at the cover of the original game, it has plastered on it featuring music by Sum 41. Yeah, that's so cool. But like, it's literally just the opening cutscene, which is like this kind of shitty, like, you know, late 90s teen movie thing. Bad. Yeah, originally it was soundtracked by. I think Still Waiting by Sum 41. Yeah, that song rocks. I guess, like, one good thing is that it did um, allow me to watch, like, an hour's worth of, like, Sum 41 YouTube videos. <laughs> that was, like, probably the highlight of my weekend. Uh, yeah, we did, in fact, watch, like, an hour's worth of 2000s era. Yeah, emo and then we found videos. out that Sevo um, 32 is a realtor now. Yeah, and so is the. What Cyrus. Is yeah. Baluki from Newfound Glory. Yeah, whose wife's name is Debbie Baluki, which I think is really <laughs> funny. <laughs> oh, poor Debbie. Um, but yeah, so this game basically has that whole vibe of like, it's a shitty late 90s, early 2000s teen movie. But that's really just like the opening cutscene. And some of the other cutscenes are also very funny. But the bulk of the game is, like I said, it's just a basic survival horror game with you know fixed camera angles and barely enough ammo for you to use and all that kind of stuff except that you can play it with another person you can (laughs) but it doesn't mean that you should well so that's what's so funny about this is i played this game back when it came out and 
I remember thinking that like the game was kind of boring with one person. And so I was like, oh, I bet that if you got another person to play it with you, it would be more fun. So fast forward, uh, you know, <laughs> 15 years later and uh, we tried to play it and it's 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 horrible. It's horrendous. It's terrible. I was so pissed off, dude. <laughs> yeah, you were fucking mad. <laughs> I was heated. So the basic problem with this game is like anyone who had to play like Sonic the Hedgehog with their older sibling and it had to be Tails. Uh, it's the mm-hmm. same exact problem. Yeah, I just like wanted a turn. But like anytime you like went to go do something, I would be like out of the frame and I would just turn into like a fucking like little blue cursor. And then I like, I know you can refocus the camera, but if you're like truly doing teamwork, like why would you take the visuals away from someone who's like onto something? You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a you can press the Y button and it'll change the perspective to lock on to you. Which is like so rude to do, I feel. It's kind of a fucked up feature to even put in the game. Yeah. yeah. Because like the couple times you did it to me, I was like pissed. <laughs> and then like when I would go out of frame and become a cursor, I would like get stuck behind like a fucking table and you'd be like, okay, we're gonna go. But I was like still stuck behind the table and I like couldn't see that I was like behind a table or like trapped in a chair or something. That's like all I did was like try to move around furniture. Yeah, for sure. And accidentally hit you with the bat. (laughs) (laughs) So you can also hit each other with your weapons, but like. Everything is so wonky in the game that it's kind of like, why did they? Like, put you that don't in? really mean to be doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really hard to judge the like the length of your swing. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this game, you know, it's very bad. <laughs> it's very bad to play. Is it not fun when you uh, play by yourself? So when you play by yourself, it's not like horrible. Um, I found my last save file from the last time I tried to play this game. So so one thing about this game, it was literally obscure at the time of its release. Like mm. nobody played this game, but someone did do like a PC port remaster thing that's on Steam. So anyone can buy and play this game. So I got it just out of curiosity. And this was a few years ago. I played about two and a half hours of it, it looked like. And I essentially got to a point where I was just bored. Like, well, I liked the puzzles. Just fun little puzzles. Yeah, it's very basic survival horror stuff. Um, like, there's puzzles to solve, you have to find items, you get weapons, and you're constantly trying to keep ammo in them because there's a lot of enemies and they take a lot of bullets. Um, we didn't even really get to the point where we both had guns. Um, no, I was just trying to tape a flashlight to my baseball bat for like 20 minutes. That's a mechanic in the game, taping one thing to another. Yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I think in the one player mode, it just got to the point where I was really uninterested in the game. Like it wasn't horrible, but I was like, yeah. once you both get machine guns, it's just like so boring. Like you're just running around <laughs> machine gunning everything. That sounds cool. But you know what? I don't think that's a game that could exist today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the opening cutscene, dude finds a gun in his school, and Monica's oh, yeah. like, did he bring a gun to school? 
And this game was made post Columbine, just to be clear. Yeah, so. I guess I also just like didn't really get what was happening. Yeah. So the story in the game is that there's just like a creepy high school where strange things happen. <laughs> yeah, well, like they were getting attacked by like the monsters just look like rib cages with teeth. Yeah. <laughs> like where did those come from? Yeah. So what the game tells you slightly after where we stopped uh cuz we just couldn't take it anymore uh is that basically there's like a lab underneath the school and they're turning oh. students into mutants. Oh, I missed that part. Oh, wait, no. I remember the voicemail where the lady's like, the, the, the students, <laughs> you have to go now. Yeah. And then they find that picture of the teacher and it's like from like the 1800s or something. And yeah. it's like, this is Dr. Friedman and his twin brother. And yeah. they have like circus mustaches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like extremely Scooby-Doo um basically is like the story of this game it's not very interesting like the cutscenes are hilarious uh they're very very bad the voice acting is bad um yeah i thought so one thing too you know that we talked about justin and i talked about earlier in this episode is like there's such a fine line between something being stupid and so it's fun to like experience with another person because you can make fun of it yeah. But if the thing is too stupid, it's just dumb no matter how many people well, are looking can't, at it. Well, you like, successfully play together. Yeah. Because it's just, like, not built for two people. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of, like, the most basic and also the worst idea for how to do a two-player survival horror game, which is don't change anything at all and just literally stick another person in the game. Yeah. So... The game also has some other ideas that I guess are sort of unique to it. Like the way that your sort of like lives work in the game is that you have a a set amount of students available to you and you take two at a time. And as you kill them off by being bad (laughs) at the game, it slowly kind of counts down until you're at zero. So you have (laughs) to keep so funny. Yeah. You have to keep at least like one or two students alive for the entire game. But also one guy just like, disappears oh yeah the first guy who like brought a gun the, to school yeah. was he like a hacker no not that guy <laughs> the guy who's like typing on his computer oh yeah. where did that guy go oh yeah that guy he, like never appeared again i have a lot of questions about that guy honestly he was cool <laughs> oh also there's a lot of um whale tail yeah. <laughs> yeah so the game once again i think this is all era appropriate but it just hasn't aged well at all the game is like super horny yeah so like every female character has her boobs like popping out of her <laughs> shirt in the weirdest way possible and her thong hanging out and her thong hanging Which out is so funny and there's one shot where the character <gasps> oh needs my to, god yeah there's like a full like upskirt shot of one yeah of the they're like like she has to go okay this game honked but like yeah, they're horrible. like in a bath like a dirty bathroom and they're like oh my god, god I, can't I can't believe the bathroom's so dirty <laughs> and then like they're like trying to like go through this vent for like no fucking reason because there's like a hallway with like 500 doors in it and they're like okay we're gonna go to the vent wait no maybe something came out of the vent i don't know maybe i just didn't pay attention the whole time but anyway <laughs> the one gives the other one a boost to like 
take off the vent cover and you just like see her like asshole basically (laughs) and there's like no reason for it and then suddenly like you're in another bathroom but there was like Nothing that really indicated that you had traveled through the air duct. Yeah, yeah, for Because sure. you were too busy looking at that girl's butthole. Yeah. Shocking. Shocking stuff. <sighs> Man. This game sort of purports to be this late 90s, early 2000s. Like, it's like American Pie, but horror. But the game just has a major tone problem. Like, it's all over the fucking place, right? Like, imagine, okay, imagine. You buy this game. It's it's 2005. You buy this game from Funkoland. And you, because on the cover, it says it's got music by Sum 41. You're like, <laughs> hell yes, I love Sum 41. Um, You're and, taking a break from playing Cool Borders 4. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you take it home, and the music in the game is actually just like a psycho choir music. <laughs> <laughs> Wall to wall, fucking psycho Mormon yeah. tabernacle choir bullshit. It's like Omen style. Yeah. Like, oh my god, it's so, so and it's like bad. really loud. Yeah, the sound mixing in the game is so cracked. Like characters yeah. basically whisper their stupid, horrible lines, and then the music is just blaring the whole time. Yeah. Oh, but one cool thing is that with your baseball bat, you can um smash uh vending machines Uh and you get free monster energy drinks which is actually the only time i've ever um had a monster energy drink (laughs) in a video game game. (laughs) yeah because like what was it like doesn't like the school have like a deal with the energy drink company or something they were like free or something it was part of the experiment uh, but it's like really funny because when you drink one, you're like, no, I'm ready for anything. Yeah. Okay. So one thing the characters do is they just yell random shit like all the time. I'm ready to fight. Yeah. That's when they like to yell a lot. Um, there's a, they also try and get you to like switch up what characters you're using, which like you really oh, yeah. don't have any incentive to unless they die. But so yeah. they'll, they'll yell stuff like. Josh will be better at this. Yeah. Chris is a better lock picker than you are. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, I don't know where he is because he was typing on his computer and then he disappeared. <laughs> he disappeared. <laughs> yeah, because I remember I was like, oh, I think we left that guy in the computer room and then we went back there and he was, he was gone. Yeah, they're gone. They're gone. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's really, really bad. Yeah. I mean, well, it was fun for a little bit. I mean, like, I like um, opening lots of doors. Yeah. And finding pieces of puzzles. I mean, I think playing this game at the time, it felt really good. Oh, yeah, I bet it, like, absolutely rocked in 2005. Um, you know, it didn't rock, but it did have a Sum 41 song in it. Oh, that's <laughs> the other thing. So they took it out of the PC re-release, which is fucking bullshit. So all the licensed music is gone and replaced by generic pop punk music. I wonder if Derek Webley had to uh, like pay Avril Lavigne like alimony or something. <laughs> <laughs> I would think then he would try and get it oh, in and more that- video. Yeah, games. but maybe he can only. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that stuff works. <laughs> yeah, true. You're not Derek Webley. I know that. Mm-hmm. He's like a ballad singer now. Yeah, oh, fedora. He really cleaned up his act. Yeah, we had a lot more fun watching all those early 2000s uh, pop-punk videos. Yeah. 
Yeah, you really like Sum 41, like, a lot. <laughs> yeah. I still know all their names. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. cool. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. <laughs> it's cool that I did that. <laughs> I remember I had the first, like, Sum 41 EP, because you could buy it from Best Buy, and it was, like, $2. So I was at Best Buy buying, like, no effects CDs, and it was just, like, cool. in the rack next to it. And I was like, oh, I'm going to buy this, too. And it was it was good. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what EP? They have an, an EP before their before first... Before All Killer No Killer? Yeah. Oh, it's called Half Hour of Power. Oh, yeah, I know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. And it had a lot of the songs, I feel like, from their first real record. Wait, isn't there a version of Pain for Pleasure on that? Uh, yeah. Maybe it's only on that and not on well, the link. I think it's the instrumental, and it's called Grab the Devil by the Horns and F*** Him Up the Oh, no. Yeah, so. A lot of stuff from this era did not age well. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Uh, yeah. I mean, but Obscure fits right into there, you know? I've, like, never been so angry playing a video game. Oh, really? No, that can't be true. I've seen you fucking rage <laughs> at some games, dude. At what? I think it's a question of what haven't I seen you rage at? Yeah, Name really a game mad. that you've played and I've seen you completely rage <laughs> at it. Uh, Wingspan? No, you you raged. Remember? Because you couldn't figure out how to get to the screen and lay that one card oh, and you yeah. raging. That I had to do <laughs> I was really mad. <laughs> yeah, dude. You, you rage at video Shit. games like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Even the most well, now that I'm game. thinking about it, yeah. I got really mad playing Dragon Quest Builders. <laughs> what the fuck? What? That's like a really cute game. Well, yeah, but like sometimes it was just hard for me to see the plans. So like I would sit a, set a block down and like not the correct spot, but not be able to tell that it was in the wrong spot. Mm, and then like mm. my build wouldn't be complete and I couldn't figure out why. And I would be like fucking pissed. And there's like a lot of like weird like boss fights in that game too. And sure. I, I didn't want to fight anything. Yeah, for sure. But I had to do one, like, this one, uh, I'm talking like this happened to me in my life, but, like, <laughs> I had to, <laughs> to do this one um, boss fight at a castle, like, three or four times. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it happened to you it in was your really life. hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... Oh, also, you can't see the monsters when you're supposed to kill them. Yeah. Okay. So the monsters in this game are shrouded in this kind of like shadow thing. And you're supposed to blast them with your flashlight. And the way the controls are set up, uh, I didn't remember it being this wonky, but it's super wonky because you're supposed to like hold down the right stick and somehow press the X button. Like you'd have to do the, the claw thing to like mm -hmm. do that. And it's really weird and it kind of like doesn't work. So I really that forgot sucked. how bad the beginning of this game is. It, not that it gets better, but once you, once again, once you have a machine gun with a flashlight taped to it, the game's a lot easier. That's so funny. There was a machine gun in their school. <laughs> I don't know, man. Also, why is their school so nasty? <laughs> well, their school looks like an Ivy League university that's also like yeah. full of human shit. It's really yeah. weird. Yeah, the bathrooms are really gross. Yeah. It's, I don't like uh, bathroom stuff. 
There's, you spend a lot of time in bathrooms in that game. Yeah, but like for like literally no reason. No, yeah, no reason at all. Yeah. <sighs> Stupid. I'm glad we only played like two hours. Yeah, for sure. Because I was so pissed. Yeah. And well, it's also like, I think like maybe if we both had the same like, um, like priorities when playing a video game, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because yours is like, scan everything really quick, take what I need and get out. And I'm like, I'm going to look at every single thing. I'm going to push every chair. <laughs> You, I know that I missed something here, but then, like, every time I tried to do that, I was just a blue cursor, and then I'd be stuck behind a table. You play video games the same way you walk around Target, or that you used to walk around Target before <laughs> coronavirus. Yeah, where you just walk really slow and look at everything and touch everything. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm a very tactile person. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm like 98% sure I used that wrong. No, that was right. Oh, I was going to say I'm sure somebody will fucking tell me. Some, well, actually. <laughs> well, actually. <laughs> they'll email my personal email address. <laughs> <laughs> they'll hack your phone. I'm like, what the hell? And change your background. Get too. a FaceTime from myself and it's like I'm nerd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. That's, uh, I fully look forward to that whenever I cover the next game that everybody loves. Oh, yeah. shit all over it. We need a P.O. box. Co-op horror might seem like kind of an odd topic for an episode of this show because it's such an odd pool of games that you're drawing from. You know, a lot of bad games, a lot of failed experiments, and, you know, later on some really new games that aren't even finished yet. But it's something that I kind of became obsessed with over the past few months. Someone who never really played a lot of games online or interacted with communities of people who enjoyed games. 2020 for me was all about getting into that. Playing online games with people, interacting with people online, trying to fill that social void that all of us have been at least somewhat left with due to coronavirus. And for me in that experience, the thing I found was that Regardless of the circumstance, I really enjoy the community that's sprung up around this show and the people who I get to interact with. And, you know, so many of them are now just people who I would call friends. Another reason that I've been so stuck on this topic is that for the last month or so, I've been trying to figure out what to do with this show because my longtime co-host, James, decided to take a hiatus from the show for personal reasons. And, you know, he told me that as we were simultaneously having discussions about how to make the show sustainable and how to keep doing the show. You know, for me, it was kind of then on my shoulders to decide what was going to happen to the show. Was it going to stop? Was it going to keep going? What was a new format going to look like? How was I going to make content that was engaging and that would reach people? when I was technically just doing it alone. And I guess the solution I came to was, well, I'm gonna start talking to this community that sprung up all around me. I'm gonna start trying to turn those experiences that I have with that community into content. 
And in the future, I'm going to be reaching out even further just into friends who I've met from, you know, in-person experiences that go back to way before the show or, you know, from touring and being part of a community of musicians. Like, I want to bring all that stuff into the show. And so I, I started to think about, like, well, how do you connect with other people? How do you, you know, make things with other people? And it's largely collaboration. I thought it was interesting that a show that was so focused on these single-player games that are meant to be played alone could also have this, this huge component of it that's all about the community. And that's all about collaboration. So even if Zero Brightness went from being a two-player co-op experience to a single-player game, I could still open it up to other people and talk to other people and have those experiences without having, you know, the same dedicated co-host that I'm going to speak to in every episode. But even knowing that, it was really stressful for me and like definitely had some dark nights of the soul, you know, where it's like, do I even want to do this? Is it worth it for me to do it? You know, and uh, yeah, it was hard. And I think this whole episode is the way it is, not only to show you guys what my ideas are for the future of this show and how I want the show to look, but also to kind of prove to myself that I could do it. I think I'm the kind of person where I see a challenge and I want to throw myself into it 300%, which is why this is literally 300% as long as a normal episode of the show. I do think it's a good taste of what's to come, though. I want to work with more people and I want to make longer episodes and I want to talk about more things. And maybe I talk directly to you guys or maybe I interview you know, some people who I admire or whatever the case. Uh, I just want the show to grow and expand and I want it to defy expectations. I think the next segment is a really good example of that because it's a lot of firsts or near firsts for me. Basically what happened was I kept hearing people talk about this game in the Discord. It was this online game and it sounded really cool. It's called Phasmophobia and I literally just went on Steam, bought it blind. Didn't even know it was an early access game, which it is, which I've never knowingly purchased. And I just jumped into it and, you know, I messaged my friend Vincent, who is a returning guest that listeners will remember from the Dead by Daylight episode. And I was just like, hey, man, you want to play this game? And we actually got a whole bunch of other people to play with us as well. So shout out to Justin, who you heard earlier. Shout out to Brio for playing with us. Um, there were some others, too. Shouts out to y'all for being there. People hung out. Meese hung out with us a bunch. And I finally got to hear what her cat Pepper sounds like. That was a highlight for me. And yeah, it was just a super fun time. One theme that you're going to notice throughout a lot of the episodes in this upcoming year is that I'm trying to kind of look at things that I've written off in the past or that I've just kind of loudly been like, that sucks. And I'm trying to find the good in it. So going into this episode, it's super easy for someone like me to just be like, oh, all online horror games suck. All online multiplayer suck. Blah, blah, blah. And that's not true. <laughs> and so... It was really cool to find this game and jump into it and really have a good time. 
I think also in terms of just the horror genre in general, you have to sometimes worry about a genre that isn't adaptable or that can't take multiple shapes and forms. I mean, that's what happened to survival horror. Survival horror died basically because nobody knew what to do with it. Nobody knew how to really evolve it beyond the second generation of its design. So it had to kind of be dissolved and people had to build something new. That's how we got the modern era of horror games. So even looking at that modern era, if these games can't be played online, if they can't be played with other people, or they can't take different shapes and forms, they sort of risk dying off. So Phasmophobia was really exciting to find a game that's like, oh, you can play online with your friends. You can be a horror lover and you can be social. You don't just have to sit in your dirty basement and be a dirty little chainsaw man, you know? So anyway, without further ado, I give you my discussion with my friend Vincent about Phasmophobia. All right, so we played Phasmophobia. Uh, I think we played like almost 20 hours of it in the last like two weeks, I think. Yeah, it was it was a fair amount for sure. Yeah. And I, you know, I want to talk to you about it because I got to know you mostly just through playing Dead by Daylight together. Mm-hmm. And you seem to have a lot more experience with this kind of thing than I do. Because Dead by Daylight was like the first online game that I really got into. Well, it's, it's interesting you say that because I think a lot of your experiences of, you know, early on uh, having some, you know, first person shooter co-op experiences like as a kid or teenager and kind of never again it's pretty similar to mine and okay. with dead by daylight i had friends who were playing and kind of convinced me to get it and i got super sucked into it uh but yeah phasmophobia is probably the real you know i'm sure there's other there's been other co-op games but it's really the second one i've really been into in a similar way um yeah all probably because of you know, having good experiences with Dead by Daylight. Yeah, well, and it's interesting with Phasmophobia that it's set up in a way that's a lot more appealing to people like me who mostly, like I said in the Dead by Daylight episode, I mostly just want to get some people that I know together and play a game rather than, like, interact with an online community at all ever (laughs) like of something like a popular video game you know what i mean like yeah well so to talk a little bit about what it is phasmophobia is a co-op ghost hunting game so it kind of feels like it's supposed to simulate the experience of something you would have seen in like a crappy ghost hunting tv show like ghost adventures uh, starring Zach Bagans or whatever, whatever you know, whatever flavor of that shit that you enjoy. I pretty much like all those shows. The only one that I ever didn't like was uh, Celebrity Ghost Hunt, which had uh, Gary Busey in the first episode. Oh man! <laughs> and it's fucking horrifying. I was gonna say horrifying in a very different way. Yeah, because he's like really mean and kind of racist and then gets really weirdly religious at the end when he thinks the ghost is there. Oh my god. <laughs> it's it's bad. It's it's like very not good. Oh um, man. But yeah, Phasmophobia seems to be like what if the ghosts in one of those shows were real and could kill you? 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of like the 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 elevator pitch of the game, and the way it works is that you you can play you can technically play alone, but I can't imagine that being any fun, and you couldn't really do most of the maps. But generally, you get two to four people together um, in a lobby in the game, and you basically pick a map and get your gear together and start playing together. I'm going to talk about some of the basics in the game because the game does not tell you shit like at all at all we like how much were we googling when we first started playing like oh yeah yeah after the first day i was like am i is this is there there something wrong with me and having a youtube all like basic tutorial stuff that is nowhere explained at all in the game that would have been helpful to know yeah oh yeah that's right because we had like the first night that i got it you got it too and then I was like, hey, let's jump on and play. And we played for probably two hours and we couldn't even find a ghost. Yeah. Like we couldn't even get a ghost to appear or accomplish any objectives in the game or anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that was fucking brutal. Uh, yeah. So the next work day, I think we both did the same thing, which was like, just look occasionally watch like some YouTube videos. Uh, yeah. And then the next few times we played, we just had our phones open and we're like Googling because the game also likes to do things where it's like you unlocked a new piece of gear that you can buy and then it like doesn't tell you at all how to use it or what it does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, well, I guess that's kind of an important part of the experience is that it's an early access game. And like, it's pretty janky and also like very player unfriendly, but... Yeah. At the same time, like the core of it is really, really good, and it's actually really, really fun. Like this game is really good. It's just also not complete. This is the first time that I've also knowingly purchased an early access game. Uh, yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, I'd always been been wary of: is this ever going to happen? Is this ever going to come out? Um, and yeah, even though it's it is super janky, I thought that would take away from the experience, but it actually it doesn't. Like the core of it is very like fun and scary, even though you have to Google how do I use this brand new piece of equipment. Yeah, totally. Well, and uh the thing about this game too is that we lucked out. Uh I don't know if you saw this, but I started looking at like just out of curiosity, I was like, when's the next update or what have been in the past updates? And it turns out that like just a couple weeks or so, or maybe like a few weeks before we started playing, they had like just put out the newest update that fixed all the online stuff. Oh man. Yeah. I can't imagine it being less fixed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I know. So I don't think they really fixed anything or it changed anything in the game, like when you're playing, but I guess like the whole like matchmaking, joining lobbies, server Mm. integrity thing was like a huge shit show before, Um, which is crazy because this game came out in September and we also, me and Justin figured out the other night that uh, there are people who are like level 800 oh my god yeah meaning that they've played this game like all day every day since it came out and they've just been dealing with like incredibly shitty like online uh connectivity and all this crazy shit like i can't imagine playing this game in that state 
but yeah, so the, the point of this game is basically you get your crew together, um, you pick gear, like you buy gear that you want to bring into each round. Um, and once you get into the round, you're supposed to use different tools and, you know, pieces of equipment that you have to find where on the map uh, the ghost is haunting. Like, you know, there's houses and prisons and asylums. There's like a few different types of maps, you know. Um, and in each map, there's one room that the ghost is haunting. So once you use the gear to locate the room that's haunting, you set up more gear to monitor the room. And then basically the round begins for real. And uh, as the ghost is haunting you, and it has the potential to attack and kill like you or anyone on your team, uh, you're trying to find three pieces of evidence, like concrete evidence, that will tell you what type of ghost it is. And once you do that, you can basically just leave the match and you'll have accomplished the main objective. Uh, on top of that, there's also like sub objectives, you know, so you can like get a picture of the ghost or maybe find a certain piece of evidence that's not related to the main objective. Uh, and all this basically nets you more money. So if you leave the match and you've accomplished all the goals, you get paid a certain amount of money. Uh, at lower difficulties, it's hilarious because like half your team is dead and you didn't even like, like you barely succeeded. And it's like, oh, here you go. Here's $30. <laughs> yeah, for you and your friend's lives. Yeah, it's like I watched my friend die and I got 20 fucking dollars. Uh, it's very American. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a gig economy for sure. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> ghost hunting off of Fiverr. <laughs> right. Task Rabbit, please cleanse this ghost from my house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Go to an abandoned asylum uh, and <laughs> cleanse it. And then, yeah, I'll, I'll give you a 20. But yeah, like it's once you figure that out, like it, it took us probably like five hours of play to really like solidify that. Um, we actually started having a lot of fun with the game. Mm -hmm. Like, it's intriguing right away, but once you actually get going, it's like a super, super fun game. I had heard someone say that once they really figured out the mechanics and how it works, it got less scary to them. And I can I can somewhat see that because I felt like in the beginning, we were just wandering around these maps, just like, ah, ah, what is that? And like not knowing where or what we should be looking for exactly. Yeah. And But then once we figured it out, it, it got a little bit less scary, but more fun. Because I, yeah. I wasn't like, frustrated and lost in like a two-story house where sometimes you know the lights would flicker uh i i knew what i was looking for yeah i i think there's something to that but we should also mention and maybe discuss this first is that unlike any other co-op horror game I've ever played and definitely unlike the rest of the games being discussed in this episode this game is fucking scary Oh man. Like super super scary. It is like really really nerve-wracking. And also it's not just us cuz we played with at least two or three other people and got two or three additional people to watch it. And everybody was like this game is fucked up. Like I was saying between this and Visage there's like a real like return to games being super fucking scary uh in 2020, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I it has big visage vibes of just things right out of the corner of your of your line of sight and weird noises, flashing lights, and am I safe? Am I not safe? But what's interesting also with the co-op is that um, oh no, I'm safe. It's just my friends aren't safe, and like seeing a ghost like 
go after you is, you know, horrifying in a different way, for sure. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, so the the way that the ghost works in the game is, like I said, they pick a specific room or area. That's one thing. Once again, it would be nice if the game outlined some of this stuff for you, but it could just be like a hallway. You know, it doesn't have to be necessarily like a specific like bedroom or office or something in a map. So once you get set up in that area, you're trying to use the detectors to find the ghost. And basically it will spawn in kind of at random. You know, how aggressive it is and how frequently it spawns is mostly tied to the difficulty of the map. Um, and so like the ghost will spawn in and either just kind of fuck with you or it'll start hunting, which is when it locks the front door of the map and starts trying to pick someone to kill. And you either have to run or hide. Otherwise, if the ghost is in your area, you're probably gonna die. And yeah, like when the ghost shows up, it's super fucking scary because generally they'll either turn off all the lights or they'll start flickering the lights. And then you basically just start getting all these really intense sound cues. Uh, Like there's, you know, really loud footsteps. There's like breath noises in your ear. um, Other kind of weird, creepy noises that all are suddenly like really close. Like the game has really good um, audio and it seems like uh, the positioning of the audio is very intentional so everything kind of sounds realistic and within the right distance until the ghost shows up and everything's like super close you don't often get like a super good look at a ghost because usually what happens is they'll just kind of be this like flickering entity in the dark and I think that combined with the sound makes every time a ghost pops up like super fucking horrifying yeah yeah it's it's also the chaos of um you know you hear it you know in your left ear the footsteps right and so but but it's it always feels so close and so you know you start running and you don't know were they actually close were they kind of close uh where if you're new to the maps where do i run uh because like you said the front door is locked um yeah and then you turn around or you turn a corner and you see them flicker or something like that uh and you get actual information the other cool thing is um you can set up cameras in like the the van outside and uh you can see the ghost on the cameras and so there's been several times where i just telling you guys yo i saw him get out of there he was by the bathroom run yeah yeah totally well it's also kind of the rare co-op game where the co-op element makes it even scarier well so one thing the game does that's cool is it it kind of makes you be strategic and split up your team um because a lot of the ghosts and even some of the items don't work if other people are near you so this game is really best played with like i think three people in my opinion because it's like You can have one person in the room, one person elsewhere on the map, and one person out in the truck, you know? And so, like, you've got one person who's in the area, but not in the room with you, so you're still alone. And you've got someone in the truck, like, watching the cameras and things. And these are all items you can, like, set up to monitor, you know? Uh, And so when the ghost actually shows up, you've got one person who's like, oh, fuck, I hear it, it's here. And one person who's like, oh, my God, it's standing right next to me. And then one person who's out in the truck, like, holy shit, I see it on the camera. And... (laughs) Like, I have video of us playing that I'm going to post on the Patreon, but, like, it's just every single time everybody just starts yelling. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. And so that's like another level of sound design, I feel. <laughs> yeah, your friends freaking out is part of the ambiance. Yeah, it totally is. And there's also like, oh God, the game is set up so well to deliver the scares too. Like my favorite item, just because it's so creepy, is the spirit box. Oh, man. Um, and so you have like a little, if you're not familiar with the spirit box, it's basically like a radio that scans different frequencies. Um, people make them in real life and uh, they believe that it can basically string together like bits of radio to send messages. Um, the one in the game, I don't know if these are real cause I'm not that familiar with ghost hunting anymore. Uh, but like the one in the game will spit out like robotic voice and text so like you'll know you got an answer because it'll like scan a bunch of frequencies and then say a word like adult old you know or whatever but yeah like the way you use it is you have to be alone in the haunted room with the lights off (laughs) and then you have to scan and then you have to so there's a push to talk in the game we were using discord chat just for general talk but the game also has a push to talk where you come over everybody's intercom. And so you have to do that to directly talk to the ghost. Uh, and you have to ask it questions and wait for responses. And it's like so nerve wracking. And especially when you actually get a response, it's just like so creepy. Cause you're just like, okay, I can't deal with this right now. I was very glad that you like the spirit box. Cause I, I hated it. I, I, I you know use it a couple times when we were just starting out. It was like, oh, it it creeped me out. Yeah, it's super scary. You know, I think like you know the the whole thing of alone in the dark, in the lights out, in the room you know was haunted, right? I, I think the game. What was interesting about like right co op horror is that a lot of horror relies on isolating you, and I think the game does an interesting and a good job of isolating you in a group. Um, uh. Because it it will always come after, you know, you're not really safe in the group, right? If the ghost decides to hunt and you're all standing there, it's going to kill one of you. So there's no reason to, you know, be together. But it also rewards you for splitting up at the same time. Um, So it's there's not really that safety in numbers that, uh, you know, you would otherwise feel comforted by, I think. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. I think it's really amazing just for the way it's designed because not only does it have these like cinematic kind of scares that are baked into the game, but yeah, like you said, it's structured in such a way that it just keeps fucking with you. (laughs) And like, it keeps making you reconsider your strategy and like reconsider like what you're doing with the team. And like, I think too, it really is a truly cooperative game. Like, there's no way to take advantage of another player. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, to compare it to Dead by Daylight, I think that's an interesting distinction because Dead by Daylight, you can totally be an opportunist and fuck over your teammates. Mm-hmm. Like, you have, like, a lot of ways, actually, yeah. <laughs> that you can do that. Or, like, you can just be bad and, like, fuck over your team. I felt like Phasmophobia is not really like that at all. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't have any incentive to not be a good team player. But also, if you're bad at the game, it's okay. Because you're not... 
gonna like get your teammates killed like when you die you feel very firmly that it was like it was just you and the ghost and the ghost got you yeah so like yeah and it's it's actually a fun inversion of something like that's more competitive because you'll yell at your teammates but not because you're mad at them it's because you're like scared <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 all like it altruistic like like get out get out oh my god he's here run this way that way he's after me get out of the door you know it's yeah uh, yeah yeah there's no like you say if you're and it's you know it's interesting like being bad at this game is like I don't know where to set up equipment or how it works, which again is like unfortunately baked into the game because it doesn't explain things well. But otherwise, even if you're quote unquote good at it, like there's no, like you said, no way to screw over your teammates or incentive to do worse or to screw, you know, like there's no way to do that. Yeah. Right. You can't shove them into the room <laughs> where the ghost <laughs> is to save yourself. Yeah, totally. Which I really liked because it, it's, it makes it paradoxically, a chill non-toxic hangout game that is also like the least chill game that i've ever played in my entire life oh for real yeah that's a great way to describe it (laughs) yeah and it's it's interesting too because there are like more gamey progression things so like you there's a level system uh the more you play and the more objectives you complete the more xp you get and your character levels up um, it doesn't seem to matter much after the first like 15 levels or like 15 ish levels. Cause basically that's where you unlock more gear and more difficulty options. So I think once you're level like 17, that's when you have like all the basic gear and you have all the difficulty levels. Um, and so like the way the difficulty levels work is if the player who is hosting the lobby has all the difficulty levels unlocked for them, when they go to select the job, you basically get a map that pops up and you get a random selection of like two to five maps that you can pick from for that round. And there's not that many maps in the game. I mean, there's like, there's a house, there's a couple houses there's a farmhouse, a prison, and an asylum. Yeah, and prison and a school. Oh, and a school. Yeah. So there's like six, seven maps. But um, each time that you spawn in, you're going to have a different ghost. Uh, visually, you're going to have a different type of ghost uh, for you to detect. Uh, and depending on like what you got in that kind of random draw, you're going to have different difficulty levels. And the, the main difference is just how aggressive the ghost is and how long of like a grace period you get when you start the match. So like in the easy difficulty, you get five minutes to set up, which feels like an actual eternity. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the intermediate, you get two minutes, which I think is good. And in professional, I don't think you get anything. Yeah, you get it's it's the ghost is active like as soon as you walk in the door or it could be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, your incentive to kind of level up and progress through the game is mostly just to kind of learn the ropes and get all of the main content like unlocked for you to enjoy. But then after that, it's it's not a huge part of the game. The main thing is just that if you die in a match, you lose all of the equipment that you brought into the round. So you can buy equipment that just goes into like your inventory in the game and then you have to specifically bring it into a round. So yeah, like if you brought something really expensive, you don't want to die, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. So you could be, you know, maybe more cautious that way. Like that's, that's how I was on like pro and I brought a bunch of expensive stuff. I thought I had like one close encounter and I thought, you know, that's okay. I can stay in the truck and watch you guys, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look for stuff. I can do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's also a, a, <laughs> a sanity mechanic. Yeah. Uh, where like the longer you're in the dark it goes down and basically once it hits zero like the ghost becomes like super aggressive yeah um, so that's also something to watch out for is who's spending the most time just looking around in the building yeah it's basically like a health bar except it works like the sanity and amnesia so if you see a ghost your sanity drops if you spend too long in the dark your sanity drops and the only way you can monitor it is actually with like the monitor bank that's back in your truck. So that's another reason why it's nice to have someone in the truck. So you can just sort of radio them and be like, hey, what's everybody's sanity at? You know, but mm-hmm. we would never do that. So we'd always just be like at the near to the end of a round, like, should we go back in and try and clear more objectives? And someone would have to be like, uh, you guys are all at like 9%. We need to fucking leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cut our, yeah, cut our losses and get out. That's another cool thing, though, is, like, you have that strategy element of, like... Because you have your main objective you want to clear, but then you have that side objectives, which you can decide to kind of risk it for the brisket and see if you, like, get more of those. Or if maybe you clear all those, but you can't figure out the main ghost, which actually happened to us on professional difficulty more. Uh, mm. You can just be like, well, fuck it. We're going to make our, our $80 from this job. Let's just leave. Yeah. Yeah. There's bones laying around the map and you get bone evidence you take pictures of it and grab it bone evidence is expensive it's good stuff yeah you gotta photograph all the bones and dirty sinks that you find Uh (laughs) ghosts love them yeah it's basically like uh it's basically just like a punk house simulator where you're just finding like (laughs) chicken bones and dirty sinks everywhere and taking pictures of it yeah it's abandoned the lights don't work it's unnecessarily cold yeah yeah exactly oh my god dude this this is literally how i got pneumonia as like a perfectly healthy 21 year old oh my god yeah yeah so yeah phasmophobia if you want to experience what it's like to be a minneapolis punk play this game (laughs) you were well trained for this game no wonder you like it so much oh yeah totally i'll be level 800 in no time (laughs) yeah so that was something though too that uh you and i never tried but then it was like a, a couple nights ago like justin and i jumped on and we were we played a couple matches just the two of us but then we we're like hey let's let's try out the public um matchmaking or see how that mm. works and so the way that works is basically you make a lobby it can either be public or private so if we were just wanting to play with each other we'd make it private but we made a public lobby and pretty much you just get added to a big list of everybody who's online. I think at that time there were like 20 lobbies, right? Mm-hmm. And we we picked a match and got ready and then we just waited. And what would happen is people would pop in for one to 10 seconds <laughs> and then just leave. And it was all, everybody was higher level than us. like every single person was higher level than us so i think it was just all high level players like cruising for other high level players 
I think. Mm-hmm. And then seeing us, like I'm level 20 and Justin is like level seven. And they were like, oh, fuck you guys. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's different at like peak times. This is definitely not a peak time. It was like super late at night and it may have been on a holiday. So like, uh, you know, that may have influenced it, but it was definitely like, we just ended up playing by ourselves, you know, cause I was like, oh, like this is weird. So the game still seems to maybe have some weirdness in that regard. Like if you're trying to, it's not like dead by daylight where, uh, you can have like a survivor group of two or three people and just get like sorted into rounds, you know, but also this game could be played with any number of people, which I think gives it a leg up over dead by daylight. Yeah. 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 I, I felt like the, the dynamic is definitely different with like two versus three versus four. And they're all fun. I think in just uh different ways. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, basically the way it works is if you have two people you're better set up to do a smaller map because you don't have a lot of ground to cover you don't have to search a huge building um and if you have you know only two people but you want to do a bigger map you can still do it it's just that your sanity is going to get tanked unless you're always taking the the one like health item is like sanity pills they're actually called (laughs) sanity pills which yeah i guess is the opposite of what monica means when she says she's taking her quote-unquote crazy pills uh Uh, yeah 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 but uh so you know if you only have two people and you go to the prison the school or the asylum which are like the bigger maps um you're basically going to like chew through sanity, but you, you can still do it. We did a bunch of like prison and school matches. Um, just the two of us and it was fine. Yeah. And, and we were wondering, cause it, it seemed like the few times we did that, just the two of us on a huge map, we kind of found the ghost fairly early or close to the entrance. And I don't, we don't know if that was pure coincidence or if the game was in the background scaling it, um, and not making it into a far distant corner from the entrance for us because it knew you know it would have been un untenable with just two people to do all that back and forth stuff yeah i i'm yeah i still am curious about that myself obviously we don't know but it did feel like it was difficulty scaling because like i think we tried the asylum it was either the asylum or the prison and like we tried it with two people and the ghost was in the entryway and then the next time we tried it with four people it was like impossible to find like yeah. we all got lost that match went on for like 30 something minutes <laughs> like yeah it was in like a cell in a random area like as far away from the entrance as you could possibly get to yeah it was totally totally crazy so i think there might be something like that at play which once again would be really cool i mean i think that this game's strength is in that kind of thing like just the basic gameplay being really really good and i think if they keep pushing it in that direction that the game is just gonna be more and more successful honestly because like this game sort of blew up right away i guess uh because of like streamers and twitter and basically all the stuff that i'm not a part of (laughs) essentially yeah (laughs) so just people are telling me like oh this game is blowing up and i only heard of it because people in our discord were, were playing it but I do think that like it's been successful just because the base level gameplay is so good and it's so fun because like everything else is janky. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I think like once you figure out 
like the the baseline mechanics and what you're supposed to do like it's it's off to the races from there um yeah yeah it's it's simple it's straightforward but it's still like really fun really tense because there's also a lot of like you can only hold a certain amount of things so you like run in drop like some things you hold on to some things you drop in the room and you go back and forth and you know um so it's very it's very active in yeah. in that way but also like i said very isolating at the same time which is nice and freaky yeah totally like you're you're always going back and forth you know you're going in with maybe like a thermometer and uh, a little sensor to try and find where the ghost is once you find the room you have to drop whatever you have go back get more stuff because yeah you have only three item slots set it up in the room and then you're kind of on this rotation of okay i'm gonna monitor then i'm gonna go try and get him here or you know whatever so yeah you're always on this like very strategic kind of rotation and it's super easy to figure out too and it's really like i think the the magic of the game is it's part luck and it's part just like trying to do your best and trying to figure out new ways to to like game the system yeah yeah i felt like you know we we had uh someone come on that had never played before i felt like he got acclimated real fast and you know was yeah just part of the team real early yeah can't remember i yelled at one person not in a mean way but they just couldn't like put down the book that you can use to have the ghost do automatic writing in mm-hmm. and i was like just press the secondary function press the secondary function and then the ghost like showed up in the room and they were just staring at the floor like throwing the book at the floor uh, oh my god it was just it's funny though too because like okay one thing about this game visually is like it's not exactly a graphical powerhouse let's say oh my god no. and like the environments and the lighting look fine in my opinion and it does the flashlight lighting thing super well like it looks great mm-hmm. but like the character models <laughs> like what oh, are man. what are they <laughs> yeah yeah they're so weird and so janky like when you like look down like someone if someone is looking at you while you're looking down that your character is like bending at the waist with like their hands behind their back like <laughs> like they're diving or something like that face first into something yeah it's, it's so bizarre yeah yeah it's so fucking weird and shitty looking <laughs> and uh it rocks actually uh i think it's amazing uh but yeah and like characters don't have like uh like boundaries on them so you can clip through any other player and see their like horrifying teeth and eyeballs floating within their skull yeah uh, which is also <laughs> fucking great yeah uh yeah and, and yeah when when characters are putting down items like it looks so 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 funny and the animation for throwing an item is also hilarious like <laughs> it's just such a it's such a plop it's hilarious um, yeah just throwing crucifixes around yeah exactly <laughs> well and, and one thing though that i think the game nails and i think this is something that comes up a lot when you talk about like co-op or online experiences is that like there should really be this kind of like funny weird element to it like Mm -hmm. i think ever since the earliest days of like battlefield 1942 or counter-strike like people even people who are competitive were kind of laughing at like the dumb shit that would happen in the game and Mm -hmm. i think this game kind of nails the extremes of that of being like incredibly stupid and incredibly scary and like it's almost like the two extremes are even more pronounced because one minute you're doing like weird 
bootleg rave dances like in the truck and the next minute you're like running from a ring lady that's like slowly crawling towards you while flickering and you're just like wow i am gonna pee myself you know yeah yeah i know like like both parts are like equally fun and engaging uh yeah us like with the glow sticks just having a rave while the ghost is like flickering things on and off yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's super good and i think that's kind of like the strength of the game i mean i'm curious to see where it goes and how it gets updated we were talking about that the other night that like i wonder how different it will feel if it gets like a big graphical update you know Mm -hmm. like yeah i don't i don't know but it's definitely like part of the magic i think that it's so janky (laughs) yeah yeah no it's like super endearing that way because everything that needs to work more or less works um and so with with that you know then everything else is allowed to be silly and janky for sure yeah one thing about phasmophobia that i kind of wanted to comment on or talk about i'm not sure which but like uh i think this game is really interesting because as i've kind of talked about earlier in the episode so many companies and especially capcom like this major corporation has been trying to figure out how to do online horror co-op horror and they never really seem to figure it out in a way that's actually both good and scary Um, Mm -hmm. I think Phasmophobia is like really notable for being a good game. It's more or less online co-op only and it's super scary. Yeah. Like it kind of gives me hope for the future of the genre, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. Cause I think of like, you know, like Resident Evil five and six, like leaning so much into action right it's Mm -hmm. it may be fun at times but it's not scary right or um like i think dead by daylight's interesting because i think it's initially it is really scary but there's it's it's structured in a way that there's like so much there is a fair amount of skill involved that once you get good at it it becomes challenging and fun but not scary anymore per se yeah right and and this because like you know like (laughs) what what is an esports like optimized you know phasmophobia competition team look like right it doesn't really it's it's not meant for that right it's it's really involved in like the experience it feels like you're really prioritizing experience over the gameplay and the gameplay is simple and is a uh an excuse to get you scared versus you know the other way around i guess yeah no totally i think i think that's spot on yeah dead by daily i would i would describe it as tense and like yeah you'll get jump scared you know (laughs) but yeah you're right i think especially like once you get really good at the game which i'm only guessing at because i am not really good at the game (laughs) uh yeah it's it's much more of a skill-based thing and it's much more of a like manipulating uh the systems to your advantage than it is just like the game kind of happening to you which is definitely what phasmophobia is like okay another thing about phasmophobia that i was really thinking about like oh is this going to change the game if they ever change this is that uh your movement speed is slow oh man slow slow you have a a quote-unquote run that is really more of a saunter so (laughs) it's like you can move slightly faster but 
man it makes those ghost chases fucking horrifying because it's like you're in a dream when you're trying to run from something and you can only like saunter <laughs> that's yeah this game yeah it it kind of reminds me of a uh fatal frame right where the the, the quote-unquote run is like a very very light jaunt away from a ghost who's chasing you right yeah totally yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the cool things about the game. And like you said, it moves it closer to like atmospheric single player horror than what we think of as online horror. Yeah. I'm really curious to see if more people pick up this mantle and do more with this. Because right now this is like, this is the game to beat for me. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this game is is awesome. Yeah, I, I was surprised how much I liked it and how scary it was and the yeah like you said like it's, it's such an interesting intersection of like hanging out with people like being relaxed being scared with people but also not being frustrated with people because there's not like like the ghost is so overpowering there's nothing good or bad to do you know yeah. like it's not like oh you messed up therefore I got killed like that has never been part of the experience it's yeah it's it's a lot of um it's a nice intersection of a lot of different things that, that work for me too. It's important to note that it's funny to be playing this game and talking about this game and like making content about this game right now because like not only is this game super new, like it's not done. <laughs> but like, mm-hmm. you know, important to remember. But I feel like this whole subgenre is still super new. Like mm-hmm. it really feels like Dead by Daylight kind of came out the gate, right? And people mm-hmm. are like, oh, this is the thing. And now we've got Phasmophobia similarly, kind of like, oh, this is another way to do it. And so far, it feels like people are still just kind of trying to play catch up to these games. Like, I know that, you know, Capcom basically made the Resident Evil Resistance, which was a flop and was legitimately like ungood, but also was kind of a Dead by Daylight rip, like Mm -hmm. a little bit, you know, like... It was like Dead by Daylight plus maybe a little bit of that Friday the 13th game, or at least whatever what that game seemed like, because I haven't actually played that. They did that, and that didn't do very well. And then Outlast actually has an online multiplayer thing that they announced a while ago uh, and hasn't, like, I don't think there's been any more about that since then, so there's going to be some kind of online Outlast game. Um but I think it might still be a while before we see like this really exploding as like a genre or have people having more options like within this subgenre. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think there's so much room for it. You know, it, it's, it's interesting of like drawing the line of like Friday the 13th came out first, then Dead by Daylight and then, then this, right? Like even just those three games, like the first two are, they're very similar, right? They're very like, jump scare kind of action heavy like we're all working together to get out you can screw your friends over that kind of thing but this is like a totally different take on just that idea of co-op horror so yeah i think the the subgenre is a ton of uh ton of room to grow and hopefully in new exciting ways yeah for sure I think it's cool that this episode kind of goes out on a high note with the newest game that we covered. You know, co-op horror has been such a weird mixed bag 
I think for a lot of these games, the most fun you can have with it is just laughing at it with your friends. But Phasmophobia, I think, kind of points a way forward for hardcore, actually scary horror games that are also co-op. You know, you can play with your friends, but you can also have an experience that's not totally different from the single-player horror games that we've sort of all learn to love and hold up as the real core of the genre. Throughout the making of this episode, I've sort of had to ask myself why I do this show. And I think that being in that existential headspace has made me ask myself why I do a lot of things and why we collectively are the way we are. You know, why do we play games? Why do we try and establish communities? Why do we make art? And for me, I think the answer to all these things just kind of comes back to trying to reach out to others and trying to make a connection with other people. You know, even back when the show was just two of us, it was all about us wanting to talk about video games. You know, for me personally, I can say that I had this thing that I really liked and was really passionate about, which was horror video games that I wasn't really talking to anyone about and I wasn't making anything about that specific topic. So the show fulfilled that need for me. It's really similar to how I've approached music in my life. You know, when I first started playing music, it was just like, it's the thing I'm most passionate about. It's all I want to do. But, you know, being like 17, it's like, what the fuck do I do? You know, I just go to my shitty job and I go to school. I don't know. So I got some friends together and started a band, and that band barely lasted at all and was horrible, but what it ingrained in me was that there's this larger community out there that you can be a part of, and you can use art to not only fulfill yourself by making things you think are cool, but that you can also meet a community of like-minded people and establish like real connections with them. You can make friends. (laughs) Ultimately, That's what I've realized about this show. I mean, I love talking about video games and talking about the philosophy behind them and the weird, horrible way in which all these old games have aged, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the most important thing is that there is this community and that I'm able to make a connection with other people and that we're able to kind of like have this time together, I think. Um, You know, in the making of this episode, I played a lot of video games, but it felt like I didn't do any work at all because it was all games that I wanted to play with people that I wanted to hang out with. And that was kind of my goal. Back when I made that big update about restructuring the show and changes coming, I said that I wanted the show to be as fun to make as it is to listen to. So I know for me, I had a lot of fun making this episode and I hope you guys had fun listening to it. As promised, I am going to experiment with the form of the show. There's going to be different people on. Sometimes you are going to hear the same people, you know, for a couple episodes at a time. But I just want to have fun with it. I just want to talk about video games. I want to hang out with my friends. And I hope you guys enjoy the things that I make now that things are sort of pivoting in this direction because I'm really having a lot of fun working in this way. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening. 
I hope you continue to listen and stick around. And if you're so inclined, uh, I hope you jump in and become a part of the community because, like I said, I think that's really been the best part of this whole experience, ultimately. I think that the real survival horror is the friends we made along the way. And that's it for episode 91. I'll see you next time.